but you shouldn't trust me. You should be looking this stuff up on yourself. Everything I say, Google it, right? This is, I'm not, I'm not an authority on the subject. And that's kind of the wider point of my show. You shouldn't be using, especially in the Middle East where everything is so complicated and there's so much misinformation about it. You shouldn't be trusting just the first person you hear or the first person you read. You should always dig a little deeper. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Trash Talks. Joining me this week, my guest, the uh, <laughs> the lord of all that is lean and politically unclean, Sultan Skinny himself. What's happening, y'all? It's your boy, Sultan Skinny, lord of all that is lean and politically unclean, here with Trash Talks, with the Trash Talks Sultan. The Sultans are together. Yeah, yeah, no, this is a double Sultan show. I didn't think of that. Yeah, um, yeah, so... Uh, Actually, I did think about that a few weeks ago. It just, it just came back. Thank you. I thought about that when I hit you up at first. I was like, Sultan, Sultan Show. Oh, man. Um, self-appointed, I assume. Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> the only, only way, way to, to be appointed. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, all right. So let's just get right into it. So your YouTube channel, uh, specific, specifically on some background of uh, my guest, is you do uh, Middle Eastern politics and history, right? Yeah. No. So... Yeah, yeah, it's it's mainly focusing on the Middle East. I start by defining what the Middle East is as a region because it doesn't really exist. And yeah, uh, I, actually, let's see. Questions are going to keep coming up. I didn't mean to cut you off, but address that really, because um, so the Middle East is um, yeah, that, that's one thing I initially thought when I went to page. I was like, oh, I thought uh, people didn't use that term anymore. But uh, well, so explain how that's a made up term. So Middle East is a British term. It means getting it's in the middle of getting to the east which was india the crown jewel of the british empire yeah um there's no real geographical or cultural connection that the land has to be a distinct region on its own mm -hmm. it's entirely arbitrary it's not like america where it's very easy to define or africa where it's got like these boundaries or even like europe it's it's super weird because people try to associate it with like islam and the arab world but that's not entirely true. There's lots of other ethnicities there. The Arab world is much larger than the Middle East. And if you look up Middle East on Google images, you'll get images of Afghanistan being part of the Middle East, but not Pakistan. Some will have Pakistan, but not Egypt, Turkey, but you know, not, and then like all of North Africa. So, so it's, it's kind of whatever you want it to be for some people. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. what's great about this place is that because it's made up, in a way, uh, there's also a lot of made up stuff in it. It's the birthplace of religion, a birthplace of some of the greatest legends and stories that build our culture. So I wanted to first define it. So I define it as um, five subregions. You got the Fertile Crescent, which okay. is like Iraq, Syria, Israel, Lebanon, uh, and Jordan. That's like the core of the Middle East. I think that's what most people think of when they think of the Middle East. Like that's exactly. what's going on in most people's heads. That's the heart of it. Yeah. 
That's the cradle of civilization, the birthplace of writing, the birthplace of religion, right? And everybody wants to go there. And what you got are the gateways, you know? So Turkey is the gateway to Europe. Egypt is the gateway to Africa, Iran gateway to Asia. And then you got the Arabian Peninsula, which, you know, I, I call it a bit of a backdoor because it's all desert for the most part. Some parts are fertile, but it's mostly desert. And you don't really want to go there. Very rarely in history are things happening in like the Saudi Arabia region. Yeah, it's just always, uh, what, what, what do you mean by that? You're saying very rarely you want to go there. Like it's just dangerous. Well, back then it was yeah. very dangerous. Now it's very safe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry, you were talking about what period when you wouldn't want to go there specifically then? Um, like before before Islam, Okay. you wouldn't want to go there because there was no people back then. There was yeah. like, it was all tribes. It was all mafia. Yeah, the, um, was it, it the was Bedouins? Bedouins? Yes, yeah. <laughs> this, it's new to me, but I, I, I've been watching your channel for like a week now, so. It's a lot yeah. to keep track of. There's so many different uh, just cultures out of it. And that's um, that's one of the things that um, you address in your show. It's You're talking about the um, how, how um, Islam, well, it's a, it's a book of many interpretations and stuff. And it comes from people of many different backgrounds that have like contributed to it. So it's not settled in any way. So there's really no decent point into thinking of Islam as one thing because it's got so many different interpretations out there, right? Or exactly. am, I, am I close to that? Yeah. Well, it's like any religion, right? Oh, yeah, of like, course, yeah. Um, but Islam in particular, because Islam is so vague, like the, well, the Quran in, in general, the main book, the fundamental text that uh, Muslims believe Muhammad spoke through the words of God, it's a poem. It's not, it's, it's, it's not listed like chapters, like the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's, it's ranked on longest to like shortest verse it's all poetry and when you have a culture that didn't even write before just spitting these bars you're going to interpret it over time differently and of course yeah that's and that's with any religion too like i've tried to explain that uh like my mother uh my mother's like uh really into christianity or whatever and um she yeah, she constantly hammers on. She's like, it's the word of God. I'm like, but you even know that book's been rewritten like three times, specifically the one you're holding. Like it was not in English at least. So I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, complicated. Uh, but, uh, one thing. So you were saying, um, with many interpretations, uh, in the book, the also one thing you said was the, uh, the myths and history kind of blend together in a lot of the teachings and stuff. So that, that's another part of it too. It's like, um, but I mean, still, this this does carry on to most religions. This is this isn't anything unique. So, but you want to explain a little bit of that? The myths and the history blending together. So, like that's like in the first episode, right? With like, yes, yeah. So I'm glad you watched my my stuff, bro. I enjoyed it. It was good, good quality. Check it out, everybody. It's uh, it's Salt and Skinny on YouTube. Same same name, right? Yeah. Yeah, same right. name. <laughs> same name, same game. So, yeah, when I when when I said that, you have to understand. We may think that these stories are legends, are myths, but the vast majority of people in the Middle East in particular and in the wider world believe these stories to be historical fact. Noah and the flood existed. Abraham and his descendants existed. And that's important to understand when we talk about especially the Arab and uh, the Jewish history as well, because they see themselves as descendants 
of these uh, legendary figures. So you need to understand the relationship between them. So for the Arabs, so I start my series, I actually started the series, or originally the idea for the series was just a bunch of random videos okay. of different bigger topics. Yeah. But if you notice, it's actually like chronological and I try to connect every episode like previously. Yeah, um, and you've been getting better at that as you went along, I noticed. Like you're, you're leading it in from the uh, end of the episodes at this point. Like you're saying where yeah. you're moving with the show. Yeah, but anyway, sorry. Exactly. Not well, no, no, no. It's 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 a it's a work in progress. I might I might I might even I'm thinking about even like scrapping it because it's so hard just to figure out what the next episode is going to be chronologically. What do I have to say? What do I have to leave out? Because I got I got a time, you know, I got I only I only got so much time to keep people invested. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you got to you got to pick your battles and uh, see see what you uh, want to get out there. But you know, also don't put too much pressure on yourself because you also have all the time in the world. So. You know, exactly. make one step forward. And if it's not the direction you want to go in, you can pivot. That's true. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking about it because it's also like it limits me like creatively because like sometimes I have to write up, like do scripts on things that I don't necessarily want to do. Right. Like with the caliphates and like all of their like crazy shenanigans. I did not want to do those episodes. Yeah. At and least, that, least, You can, you know, and you can almost tell that a little bit in, in the uh, content compared to the other videos. I could see that. And uh, is it called a uh, chaos and the caliphates something? Yeah. Some of them, yeah, you, you can tell it through the video a little bit which ones you're more passionate about and just the way you talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. And you can even hear when I'm like getting tired and from the audio. <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. And you got to sit there and be like, like, I had this idea. Now I need to get through like 18 hours of making it happen and still have the same motivation by the end of it. Exactly. Yeah. It's tough. But what, what I was saying was that the series, what, what I was trying to do, or what I'm still trying to do, is I start with the story of the Arabs. So who are the Arabs? They are the descendants of Ishmael, uh, Abraham's first son, the, the bastard son. Okay, he wasn't supposed to have that kid because okay. his, his original wife was not fertile. So he went with an Egyptian maid, you know, got her preggers. And then when the wife finally got her own kid, uh, Isaac, the patriarch of the Jews, yeah. Yeah. he banished Ishmael and her mother into the desert. And that's where we get the Arab nation. So I start with the Arab nation. We talk about the Arabs, you know, who they are, where they come from. And then Islam, because Islam is the first time in history that the Arabs actually start to identify themselves as a people. Before they were just tribes. You, you follow your, your, your name through your father. In fact, if you look at Arab last names, they don't have last names like we do. You know, I'm Sultan Skinny, right? Yeah. My father was John Skinny. Yeah. You know what I mean? I got you. You got, you got your last name. For Arabs, they got, you know, these long names like Abdullah ibn Saud, ibn Saud, ibn Saud. Whenever you hear ibn, that means son of. They're tracing their lineage. Yeah, throughout the whole thing, it's just going back. And this traces all the, yeah, all the way back to, like you said, Ishmael. And, and this kind of goes all into the tribes that are out there because that identity to which son they descend from is, it matters heavily into how they practice the religion. Yeah. Um, not so much the religion. The religion was actually the unifying factor. Yeah. Right. Like, like we shouldn't be. Why are we identifying ourselves as tribes? That's what. That's the whole point of, not just Islam, but like even Christianity. Why are we associating ourselves with tribes? We are all one people. We all come from one God. We are the same kin. Right. We should yeah. be one group, one people. And that was We're the people. that was the unifying force behind Islam too. Is that they they still have uh, respect for what are they they call them. Um, 
what is it? People, people of the book, I guess. Uh, I forget yeah. what it is. Yeah. But uh, they still, for um, Jews and Christians, they're like, well, they still worship one God. So they're kind of on the same page, more so than, like you said, pagans, which pagans worshiping other gods, like uh, extra, you, you know, you're not even close. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, so yeah, at least like things like that, like the one God and, um, maybe a couple other aspects you'd be able to point out, but those are the unifying forces behind the religion. And that's the, that's the one in- inclusivity that all these have. Right. Well, in, in the Shahada, which is the, uh, is the chant that Muslims, when you go to a mosque, that's the chant they bring out Allahu Akbar. And then all of this, I can't, I can't say, say the name that. again. It's called the Shahada. Shahada. Okay. It's the first, it's the first uh, tenet of Islam. So there's five pillars in Islam. That's the first one. It's a phrase. And you say that phrase honestly, like wholeheartedly, you are a Muslim. Right. The phrase in English, it's God is great. There is no God but God. And Muhammad is his prophet. Very simple, very straightforward. So if you and can acknowledge that, Muslim. You're, yeah, you acknowledge that, you're Muslim. Okay. That's it. Not That's a high threshold. <laughs> It's it, it very easy. Yeah. And, and they want it to be easy because remember, religion isn't just about fulfilling yourself spiritually. It's also about how many people can we get on our side to fight what we want, to pay for what we want. You know, it's and that's what I really liked about, excuse me, studying Islam in particular, because I, I started liking the history and the and the um, aesthetic of Islam more than other religions because it's so explicitly political. They don't even play around with it. Christianity, they try to throw in like some like, you know, oh, everything is like nice and like rainbows and blah, 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 blah. We're doing this for for you to better you. In Islam, it's like, yeah, we do it to better you. But we're also doing it because we live in a chaotic world and we're here to bring order. Yeah, no, my uh, I I actually have a buddy who's on the show, uh, this Christian guy, and he was talking about that, how there's a lot of. uh, like how you just described Christianity is not how he described Christianity. And he's like, there's some people out there who thinks there's this vague, like that Jesus was like, you know, be vaguely nice, bro. And you're in <laughs> like, he's like, that's not what it's about. But yeah, I hear what you're saying though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not, not like the religion, like itself, but like how people present it. That's the newer way to present it is what he's saying. He's like, it used to be more structured. There used to be more rules. And now like modern Christians are just like, whatever goes, man, you know, just be generally nice. And Jesus loves you, exactly. man. <laughs> well, we lost that with, with, uh, you know, with secularism. And now the church doesn't run our rules anymore, but it's not the same in the Islamic world. In the Islamic world, they still run the rules for, for most part. For and their leaders part. are called uh, imams, right? Say, am I saying the, that right? The imam is a leader, so he is yeah. the he's the leader of the mosque. He's like the priest. Yeah, it's like a priest. Okay, an imam. Um, is there a uh, is there a version of the pope, like kind of thing? Um, so spiritually, no. Okay. Politically, yes. Yeah, because I mean, in, with the politics, I would expect it. Yeah. Yes. So in Sunni Islam, you have the caliph, which means successor. He's the sexer of the prophet Muhammad. Muhammad isn't just a prophet like, you know, Moses or Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I talk to God. We're friends with God. Do this. No, he was a politician. He was a revolutionary. He had a kingdom. Yeah. And when he died, he needed successors. And those successors are called caliphs. But in Shia Islam, you have imams as the head of state. And the imam has to trace their lineage to the prophet Muhammad. Caliphs don't necessarily have to. 
it's better if you do because you know you get more clout but of course that's pretty pretty big claim <laughs> of course right i'm the descendant of you know the the guy who made the religion dude believe me if christians had that you'd never hear the fucking end of it <laughs> oh absolutely <laughs> anyway but uh um so, oh, jesus i'm trying to you know i'm trying to like ride these boards right now you can probably hear this rain just started pouring the second i started i i, I can't cut it out i gotta I get soundproofing in here it. you can't maybe it's just in my headphones you know i worry about things way too much shop talk boring who cares um all right anyway uh so they're not called imams uh, or i mean some are imams some are the uh you say caliph or so every all muslims have imams okay, okay? But the question is, how much power does the imam hold and who can be an imam? Okay. So in, in Sunni Islam, the imam, you're restricted to your mosque. Okay. You follow the mosque, you do the rules, make sure everyone in the community is following the religion proper. But in Shia Islam, imams have more influence. They have more power. So the Ayatollah, for example, in Iran, the most modern example I can give, he's an imam. The supreme leader of Iran the head honcho, he is an imam. He's a spiritual leader first and a, and a, and a ruler of the country second. Okay. Right? If we're going yeah. to govern a country with Islam as our law, well, we better get a guy who is an expert on Islam, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, who else? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, man, um, what else I got here? So, all right. So one thing you're talking about, they want to... Um, you know, one of the one of the things with it being like the political ideology, you want to bring as many people in under it, and uh, like all these, you know, you you, you want to you want them you want to get those rookie numbers pumped. You know, you want people coming in. One thing I always hear, and I don't know whether this because because the main context that always comes to mind when I think of this phrase and um, the kind of people who'd say it, um, the one incidents that uh, incident that comes back to mind is like the Berg Bogdal uh, Bogdal thing or whatever the dude who like took off a uh, uh, military member of the U.S. took off went and tried to join I really can't remember what extremist group it was he got kidnapped or something and they would always talk about like oh you think you convert they don't want you man they don't want you they don't have respect for people who convert they only have respect for like other I, I don't know I always hear something like that like that there's some hierarchy like even if you try to switch to Islam. Uh, you weren't born into Islam, so you're you're not going to be as respected. Is there any truth to that, or I don't think I don't think that's true. Yeah, it's uh, it, like I said, it's the people I was hearing it from. Where that's why I'm second guessing it. It was always came yeah. with that context of uh, military people who had just been fighting extremism, or yeah. you know, a lot more complicated than that. You know, but what, <laughs> that's how they felt. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. I always I would always hear that that there wasn't much acceptance for converters, but. Uh, not no truth to that because I've sounds like from your view, general, I've heard only the oh, opposite. No, no, no. They're very like if you go to a mosque, show yeah. just the slight bit of interest in Islam. They're all oh, please come in, please yeah. let me let me show you. They want converts. Yeah, the more converts, the better. You're it, it's not a birthright thing. Like you can be born, you're born, you can be born into Islam, but it, it doesn't matter ultimately because it, just because you're born into Islam doesn't make you a good Muslim. Well, say, all right, perfect. Yeah, that, that really sums it up right there. But I was saying, uh, so, you know, like you said, you get more clout being uh, the de descendant of uh, Ishmael from some sense is uh, you don't have that option at all. So you're not somewhat lower on the totem pole. It's, it's no. <laughs> so here's the interesting part. And people really forget this. People have a difficulty time, a difficult time distinguishing between 
Arabs and Muslims. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah, because one's the religious and one's the generalization given to the region, right? Yeah, well, one one is religious, one is an very general ethnic group. Yeah. Many many people we would consider Arabs would not consider themselves Arabs. Okay. okay if, you, if you told a Lebanese Christian or an Egyptian Christian that he was Arab, he would be like, no, what are you talking about? I'm not Arab. Even though they speak Arabic, they eat the same food, they have the same values, they do almost everything that other Arabs would. Yeah, I'll ask my aunt. She's a, she's a Lebanese Christian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she'll... <laughs> no, we're not Arab, we're Phoenician. Guarantee she'll say that. Phoenician. Phoenician. Yeah. But um, the, the Arabs themselves, yes, they hold... They still... They never changed, even with Islam. They still hold their birthright. They still hold their family uh, tribal lineage. They still hold the value of the father and they still hold that, that, you know, we, because we are the bringers of Islam, we're a better people than you are. They have that supremacist complex, just like, just like with white and black, the Arabs have the same complex with everybody else. Yeah. They're just as, they're just as racist, just as bigoted as everybody else. But Islam was able to tame that just a little bit because of its religious implications. You're not born into Islam. You choose to be into Islam. You choose to submit to God. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, um, this might be a good segue. Um, so you were talking about, uh, you know, racists like any other group, uh, to an extent, I mean, you know what I mean by that, but, um, the, uh, they, they had, a so they have some interesting, like form of racism. Like you're saying it was more based on religion than anything. Like that's the core thing. It really doesn't matter where you were from. If, uh, as long as you were, um, you know, at least believed in one God, that's already points. If you're Islam, that's more points. Uh, if you're thinking about converting, there's some points. But um, they did they did have uh, Islamic slavery, and they had a form of racism within that, but it was like racism with way more steps. Like, it wasn't just about yeah. being black or white. It was about being this specific region of Africa. Like, they had a very... It's almost like not racism. It's like regionism or something. Like yeah. That. So in in that in that one, so the guy who wrote that book, uh, his name is Ibn Butlan. He wrote a slave guide about which ethnicity is preferable for each re, uh, for each job, right? Um, I they this was written a very one. long time ago. <laughs> very long time ago, yeah. 11th century. He's not even Muslim. He's Christian. He's a Christian Arab. Oh, so, so a Christian okay. Arab wrote this book. All right. Yeah, wrote this book for the Muslim Empire, right? It's odd. very layered. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's really odd, right? Yeah. So, um, he, what's interesting about his book and why we have those different regions? I, I wanted to put it in the video before, but I didn't have enough time. Um, he was a physician before. Okay, so he was a medical expert, um, and in fact, he's famous in Europe for his medical textbooks. In Europe, they used to put his use his medical textbooks in the early universities. But the reason he ranks like uh, Nubians as like the top best East Africans to enslave and uh, Bantu Zanji peoples as the worst. Yeah, he has those racist characteristics, characteristics like with their attitude and like their physical traits. These are not preferable because blah, 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 racist reasons. Yeah. But the biggest reason was their digestion. Say, in, say that the digestion did you, you didn't go into this in the episode right i i feel like this would have peaked i i, I listened to a lot of hours of content but this was this in yeah. yours this was not in the episode. okay this i was gonna say this would have piqued my interest so digestion 
Yeah, I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna do a stream one day when I finish like season one and then talk about the things I wanted to include. But the big one for this guy for why he would rank particular Africans over others is because of digestion. Um, in Sudan, the reason they're the better Africans to enslave is because they had better digestion because of the water they were drinking. They're on the Nile. The Nile is cleaner. It's easier to tame. So they have a culture of agriculture. So they're not susceptible to different diseases like malaria and parasites. But if you go to Sub-Saharan, more into like where the Congo, where the Zanji are from, they had worse digestion because the water isn't as clean. And that was the main reason why he would rank them uh, lower because those slaves would just not last as long. They weren't as healthy because of the water they were drinking. So this is about hardiness more than anything. This is about uh, mileage on a slave, isn't this right. science? Yeah, well, well, that's what it is, right? If you're, yeah. if you're a slave owner, right? You want to invest in your slave, take care of your slave. I don't want to buy another slave. No, I, yeah, no, they, they, I, I know this is, uh, this is brought up in a lot of even like American slavery books. They like talk about, you know, like they always focus on the fact of like the abuse and all the beatings and stuff. I'm like, you don't, you probably didn't want to do that every day. Like it was, it definitely happened. It was fucking horrible, but like, that's not a good long-term strategy. Like that was, that was a worst case scenario. <laughs> I don't know. And that's, that's what the Muslims realized quickly because they treated them like crap. And when they treated them like crap, they revolted and they killed them. The yeah. slaves revolted and killed their masters. They're like, oh, we should probably refrain from doing that. Which led to a much different version of slavery in uh, in the Middle East in general, It's or within Islam. They, uh, yeah, they, they, like, they, there was some, you said there were some slaves that actually held higher status than free people, even. Like, they, there was just... It was treated completely different than you think of with slavery, like with the, just the term in general. It just yeah. sounds like, you know, the lowest of the low are controlled by the highest of the high and it's unfair and it, it's all that. But there were certain scenarios where slaves actually had higher ranking than the average citizen. Yes, because, well, in American, American slavery, we like to think American slavery was slavery for everybody. That's not true. Mm. American slavery is exceptionally like grotesque. And a lot of it has to do with the reasoning on why we enslaved those people. So in America, you enslaved someone because they were black. And we created an entire science, an entire, you know, uh, pseudoscience to just put these people down just so we can justify to ourselves, it's okay to beat them. It's okay to say they have no history, no culture, none of this, uh, and that they're ugly and that they're stupid. So it's okay to beat them and, and devalue them. They're less than animals. So they treated them like less than animals. It was illegal to teach black people how to read in the United States. It was illegal to sit beside them. Like, like that's so, that's nowhere else in the world is like that. Arabs don't like black people, but they'll sit beside them. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I understand what you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it led to some really horrible, uh, just segregation, just treatment of other people. Like, it sounds, it, it's funny to think like, you know, because you just talk about slavery. Most people go towards American slavery and to think like, hey, man, you really fucked up with your slaves. Like there's way better ways to do this. Like there is, but I understand it. Like there's, there's proper treatment. And um, I mean, slaves being written about in all the way back to, I think the, it's in the old Testament. I know it's definitely it's new Testament too, or is it just old Testament? Um, old Testament. All old Testament. Yeah, they talk Testament about treatment of slaves and stuff. I mean, it's, it's been in so many different cultures. And I guess at that point, like what it's, kind of a global phenomena really all you have left to do is judge degrees of it 
Like, and yeah, there is something more gross about the just baseline. You look different. Therefore, yeah, there is something pretty gross about that. Yeah, it's it's super it's super gross. And I wanted to do a comparison originally, but I didn't want to take away from like Islamic slavery. And this is I think you made the better choice just focusing on like the one lane because it gets it gets like divisive at that point. People tune out. So just explaining one side and then maybe going into it later might be better. I don't know. Exactly. But um, also, I also wanted to say, like, I'm not saying that, like, excuse me, Islamic slavery is like better and more moral than American slavery. Like In a way it is. Yes. But they're still slaves. Right. Yeah. They're still owned by people. They still have to when they say jump, they have to ask how high. Which is fucked up for no matter what. Yeah. It's messed up. And they did. And they also had their terrible things. And I put that in the video. They also had their abuses. But yeah, for the political thing, the entire palaces of the caliphs and of the sultans were ran by slaves, uh, mostly eunuchs, men who did not have uh, their nutsacks yep. because they couldn't have kids. And if you had kids, you wouldn't have heirs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you just don't. Yeah. You just don't have to worry about them just running around doing much, you know? Exactly. Yeah. They, they run out of. Uh, both the uh, the hormones for the motivation and uh, the results of the motivation. So, exactly. yeah, real real tame people. I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they weren't always so tame because they would actually like do coups. Like this, the, 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 the Muslims, they relied on slaves for everything, the military, the politicians. So if the military and the politicians are your slaves, what's stopping those guys from just being like, okay, we run the empire anyway, let's just overthrow you. And that's what happened so many times. It's one of the reasons why the Islamic empires for the most part, kind of failed was because of their system of slavery. Yeah. No, slavery has never been um, a useful system. Like, one of the arguments that's usually made against, uh, like, the Civil War in the United States is that, like, so many people misconstrue it that it was about slavery when there was still um, northern states that had slaves at the same time. And it's it really would have just, it, it just was so many other, like, economical reasons and stuff. But really at the end of the day if they didn't have the civil war over that which was to preserve the union and not really about slavery slavery was waning in the united states because it's just fucking ineffective it's just not yeah. a good system it doesn't yeah, they work have machines. they can do it for them yeah exactly you got machines in the north and workers that want to show up and get paid like there's there's a i forget the name of the book but there's this book written that's talking about like how often like the slaves i mean they're out there working 24-7. You do that weeks on end, you're a lot fucking scarier than the guy who forgot his gun in the shed that day. Like, he's going to knock your ass out. Like, there were some yeah. slaves who were able to fucking scare the shit out of their owners. They're like, there's enough of us and not you. Like, it wasn't, uh, yeah, it was, it was much more beneficial in the long run to pay people a, a better wage mm-hmm. or a, a wage, you know? Yeah. yeah. But it's also beneficial for the country in general. If you're yeah. depriving some part of your population for whatever reason, from education and like equal treatment and participating in the economy properly, it's like you have dead weight. Exactly, exactly. Like it only benefits you to try to make the best of all your citizens. Exactly, yeah. and that's and that's what you know we have to learn, and we're still learning that now. Like we're we think we're very progressive, but we're actually not. We're not as progressive as we think. When I did the uh, the Islamic women episode, the you know, most recent one, correct? Yeah, the most recent one. I, I I was I was slacking. I had to do like a lot of debates and a lot of work um, outside of YouTube because so the next episode's coming. But like it's it's been slacking. It's, I've been I've been slacking. Yeah, but it's, anyway. it's all good. You're doing you're doing your job. <laughs> it's really like the detail. The videos are uh, the great detail. Uh, they're compelling. I mean, you got just like all all the 
jump cuts are nice with the visual representation. So, uh, no, you, you, take your time. Don't worry. It's a good channel. Thanks, bro. Um, but when I was doing the woman episode, I found out that in England, you know, great progressive England. Just a sec. Hold on. Good. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll eat. I'll Hi. <laughs> Hi. This, this is the main Sultana. Hi. <laughs> Uh, you want me to save you the food? Yeah, yeah, save the food. Thank you. What's for dinner? Main, main, What's for main, dinner? main Sultana. You know, that's that's. I can't do a video without her permission. <laughs> she said, all, said all, she's saving you food though. What you eating? What's for dinner? No, I, I don't know. You don't know whatever, yet. <laughs> whatever Sultana's cook. A Sultan, you know, as a Sultan, most of your influence is the women in your life. You know, every Sultan has had a woman in their life tell them their advice and everything. The reason I'm doing it as a series is actually because, you know, mom, all, all the girls in my life told me you should do it as a series. Like next episode, that was their idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's for dinner. Well, the, hey, I just, she was made, she came in talking about it. I mean, yeah, I live, if you're, if all of my friends would be laughing right now and anyone who does, I, I am so nosy about food. Like if I see you touch a pan, I go, what you making? Like, I don't want to eat it. I just need to know. I just have to yeah. know what flavors you're doing tonight. <laughs> just, I live vicariously through it. I don't even want it. Like, I don't eat a lot, but I just, I see food. I'm like, what's going on in there? You got, you got some Old Bay? You, that's interesting. I've never seen people put that in there. <laughs> I don't even cook, so I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I'm just curious about food. Anyway, uh, so, uh, Main Sultana walked up, uh, and you were just going on about the the feminism uh, episode that you did. Um all right, so you made the claim on on the uh, top of the video right there that Islam is not a uh, feminist religion, but you went into some of the details of why people could easily confuse it as that because it appears to be progressive and uh, feminist in certain aspects, but um, probably not in the bulk of it, like, or I don't know. Like, there's uh, there's certain things you can point at, and you address them in the video is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted that video... I didn't want to be like just crapping on Islamic feminists, right? Like I wanted to also provide their point of view. Like what is it about the religion? Because there is a school of thought called Islamic feminism and you can look them up. They have videos and they have articles that make the case that Islam is already a feminist religion. You don't need feminism because we got Islam. Um, and there are, there are instances where it's like, okay, there are things that they were a little bit more progressive in, particularly with property and marriage. Mm. Um, women were allowed to have property, inherit property, um, sell their property, do whatever they wanted with their property mm. that uh, they inherited. And without the inter and more importantly, without the interference of their husband mm. getting involved with their property, which That's you didn't see anywhere else for like another 800 years. Right. It was like something mm -hmm. about that amount of time. Like they've been yeah. doing this for a long time. This isn't like all of a sudden in the 70s, they were like, T take that patriarchy like they just yeah they've been doing this so yeah they were they've been doing this and in the 1800s people women in england were allowed to have their property without the interference of men yeah um in, in 1975 women in england were allowed to have a credit card without the permission of their man 75 yeah. and you as a woman you couldn't go uh have a credit card without uh, your man's approval That's um crazy. Isn't there isn't there something to credit and Islam? Isn't there something? Uh, I forget. I heard something about um, the interest. Yeah, the interest. What's 
No interest is haram. You don't do interest. So so has so there's credit but no interest, or no no no. If I give you a loan, yeah, I can't I can't give you interest. In fact, most religions they don't like interest. They they think of it as very very evil. Yeah. Why would you? Why would why would I give you more than I already owed you, making money off of me? Yeah. I see it. I see it and I don't. I'm just like, well, some people need money now and uh, they'll invest it correctly and make more later. But, you know, yeah, it, it sets people up for like, you know, hey, you don't have money now. So how about you have less later? Like, Yeah, I can I can see both sides. I can see how it could be inherently like trapping of some people. And then um, I get a decent credit score and I'm just like, guys, hey, do it right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Everyone, everyone's a socialist until they see money. You know? Like this podcast wouldn't exist without a, a credit system. Like I, I, I'm like, Hey, uh, can I get what I could afford in the next three years today? Because I know I can afford it. And they're like, yeah. And I don't know. It's helpful for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I get it. I could see how people get trapped in it very easy. Like the only way I built my credit was I, I always tell people this is the best way to do it. If you can actually pay it back, go with the most predatory loan you've ever heard of in your life. Like something with like 30% interest after a year. If you know you're going to pay it back, that shit fucking boosts your credit. Oh, that's funny. You know, just get a loan and don't even use it. Just pay it back. Oh, I'm saying with some of the more predatory ones, like when I, like when I've, I bought some uh, speakers for my car and um, I mean, it was just like a big expense, like right off the top with no credit. And so they're like, oh, yeah, we'll give you this huge thing. But if I didn't pay it off in exactly a year, it was 30%. So I would have been owing like $400 a month for the rest of forever. Like, yeah, I would just would have been the evil side of that. But um, yeah, yeah, instead, I just paid it off within six months and my credit shoots through the roof because they're like, oh, this guy can handle money. He can handle uh, he can handle an obvious trap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I recently just, uh, you know, recently got myself a credit card. Yeah, just playing with it. Got to do it, man. I mean, fucking. I mean, whether or not it's evil, I mean, it's the only way to fucking survive in this country, man. It affects everything. But totally separate information. Yeah, I'm a sultan, you know, I don't gotta worry about this stuff. <laughs> I only got it because they were like, "Oh, you need a credit score," and I'm like, "Ah, okay, fine." Yeah, just buy socks, pay them off. off. It'll can't stay. Pay them off with like slaves anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> She's just getting harder every day. Every day. Oh man. Well, uh, all right. What else I got here? So, um. Yeah. All right. So uh, something that comes up in every one of your videos, hashtag remember Yemen. So I'm a guy who brings up Yemen a lot. Uh, I'm an anti-war guy and Yemen's just the best thing to point at as an example, because I, I mean, it seems like the worst human rights, just tragedy in, in the world right now. I mean, there might be a few worse things going on. Um, Ooh, that's, that is the worst humanitarian crisis of our, you think it's for the whole, country. yeah. Uh, like I was, I, cause like the thing is some other countries covered up, like I was thinking like the Uyghur Muslim thing in, uh, China, but I don't really, we don't really know the extent of that, but we know what's going on in Yemen and it's fuck. like, I mean, what it doesn't like, a, like a, a large percentage of the population has like cholera out like, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause like a, how poor the, I don't know. So Go the on. country's like about 30 million people, right? Yep. About 24 minimum, 24 million of those people are in need of urgent aid like now. And it's not coming. No water. And it's not coming because you have a lot of blockades um, and you have constant air air raids, like like just massive air raids, indiscriminate bombings of what is one of the cradles of civilization. And that's really what hashtag Remember Yemen was about. I wasn't originally going to do a hashtag Remember Yemen. But when I did the video on Yemen, um, I was shocked 
by just how much history and significance Yemen has. And I'm going to do, do an episode on Yemen later during its Islamic period, but there's so much influence that Yemen has in our history, and we just know nothing about it. I know. It's one of your more uh, compelling videos, and it's one of your shortest ones, too. Like it, uh, I feel like it gets the point across really well, but yeah, there, there, you could definitely elaborate further into that. There's so many more things you could say outside of, uh, I think it was only eight minutes. And I mean, compared to your 30 minute ones, I, I, I mean, you're, you're throwing that hashtag on every single video, man. That, that one needs a little more love. <laughs> yeah, no, no, there's going to be another one. Well, that was one of my early three, like I had like those three first ones. Those were like shorter ones. I wanted to do them faster. And it was good. Was, it just shows potential. I'm saying like you can, you can do more. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, but you know what really changed it was uh, Tom Holland's uh, book. Uh, that episode wasn't supposed to happen, by the way. I actually it was a good went, one. It was a really good one. <laughs> So I'm yeah, glad that it happened. So, but it wasn't planned. That one was not supposed to happen. I stumbled upon it and I saw this guy's book. And because he did not remember Yemen's history, I'm like, okay, I have to do this video. I just did a video on Yemen. And you're saying that the Arabs never had influence of Christianity or Judaism in their history. And I'm like, uh, bro, Yemen was like a Jewish kingdom for like the longest time. So like, how could you, how could you forget that history? So yeah, I, I had to I had to do that video. That's re that's really where the hashtag remember Yemen comes from. Yeah, that, that, that video. It was just I mean, yeah, I could see that y you have that. Um, you've addressed a couple different people like that, like another guy and actually a guy I uh, I followed before um, or probably I think I'm still subscribed. I don't really listen that much anymore. But Sam Harris mm -hmm. um, guys got a lot of good information, but some seriously poor takes on Islam. Um, you know what, if, if we were to have a conversation with Sam Harris about Islam, I think I would agree with him on most things. Yeah. But the thing is, is that this guy, when, when he did the golden age, uh, take, it was purely out of a place of bigotry. And you could tell that. And I was actually, cause yeah, I used to listen to Sam Harris too. And I used yeah. to see him as, oh, this is, a, this is a smart guy. He knows what he's talking about. But when he did that, I was like, hey, uh, there's, something, there's something wrong here. You're saying, and someone actually wrote me, like a 63-year-old man, he wrote me. He's like, thank you for making this video because I used to look up to people like Sam Harris. But when I heard him, I heard Trump's words. And I'm like, yeah, that's, it's, it's an intellectualized version of Trump's words. But it's not intellectual. The guy had no clue what he was talking about. And all I had to do was just a simple Google. Boop, boop, boop. What, did, what, what is he talking about? And well, then, the yeah, and then with him being so smart, you got to wonder if it's a grift or not, because dudes, dudes had the option to just do that same Google you did. You know what? It's not the more I've been doing research, it's, I realize it's not a grift. Like they're not moving it to gain money. They're doing it because they're genuinely like bigoted and ignorant on the subject. There's a lot of information about Islamic history in particular. And uh, the worst is Africa too. Africa, there's lots of civilizations in history about Africa that we just completely neglect due to our bigotry. And that's kind of one, that's one of the reasons I started the Sultan Skinny channel. Like, how could you say, oh, the Islamic golden age didn't, excuse me, it didn't achieve anything when it literally created science? Like, uh, like, Create, like it objectively created the building blocks that we would, we would use to establish the scientific method, universities, yeah. the hospital. And 
It's not like it's not here. We, you can just Google it. It's there. But we choose not to learn about it. And that was, that was the reason I had to do that video. And it was as long as it was. And it was going to be longer. I had to cut a lot of stuff out. And you know, it's, it's uh, like you were saying, it's the golden age versus the last however many years. Sam Harris's like worldview seems to only go back one generation, possibly two. And what you're referring to with the golden age, you're talking, I mean, how many hundreds of years ago uh, specifically? So the golden age is interesting because there's no, I'm going to make a video about it. After this video, I'm going to make another video about the golden age, the, the quote unquote Islamic dark age. It's the end of the golden age. And what you're going to learn later is that the quote unquote dark age doesn't really happen. People think that the Islamic golden age ends with the burning of Baghdad. So Baghdad was the largest city in the world at the time, but the largest library and largest learning center of the world at the time. And in 1258, the Mongols came and just burnt the city. Like just destroyed it. They fucking got and everything. It's fucking Mongols. They destroyed it. All of these books and, and so much more. What we know about the Islamic golden age is only a fraction of what we know because the largest learning center in the world just got destroyed, but it didn't kill the golden age necessarily because you still had cities like Cairo, cities like Fez and uh, Samarkand in uh, Uzbekistan. You had uh, Timbuktu in Mali that we don't really talk about, but they contributed to the golden age, especially Cairo. Cairo was the new center. So it didn't really change, but something did happen um, in that time that would contribute to less science and less scientific thinking in the Muslim world. And we're going to talk about that in that episode. And it became more, uh, probably just religious fervor, just moving towards that. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely complicated, but I can, I can see with like how far you went back. Like you was talking about, um, at one point, Sam Harris is just like, you know, uh, they, they mentioned something about uh, optics, but they never built a telescope with it or they never did this. And you just easily point to like, look at all this like uh, astronomy they were attempting to like get done. Like it's just what you want to look at. of the stars in the night sky have Arabic names and you're telling me they didn't study the cosmos? Yeah. <laughs> now nah, that, was, that was a bunch of British guys who just liked, you know, how Arabic sound. <laughs> hmm. That's another thing. Oh, the British are the worst at it. Yeah. So many of the inventions and so many of the things that we credit like Englishmen for doing, they were already done by Muslims, yeah. especially like the scientific method. There are two guys, both last names Bacon, Francis Bacon and Roger or Robert Bacon. I know about Francis. I don't know about Robert as much. Robert is, his, his, he was like in the 1200s. He was like a monk. He's not very well known, but he's the guy who introduces the scientific method to Europe. But this guy's entire career is just copying Ibn al-Haytham. It's an entire, it's just translating his work. Does he ever address it? Or is it like, is there room for him to be like, oh, I came up with this myself? Or does he ever address that he's copying that? Or if, if you went, that's the thing. If you went back in time and you talked to Isaac Newton, Rene Descartes, Robert Bacon, and you told them, oh yeah, the Muslims, they didn't achieve anything. They would laugh at you. Like, what do you mean they didn't achieve anything? We literally study these guys in university. Yeah. We have to. It's our entire curriculum revolves around them. They would have laughed at you. Yeah, no, no absolutely. I mean, like, it, uh, I, I, I don't know why. It's, uh, it, it's, it's weird because if you know the people who invented it, it's, it's almost like being offended on somebody's behalf. Uh, or I guess it's not even that. I guess it comes more down to, like, this is my ancestor. So my ancestor was the one who invented it. Like, 
Yeah, it's just bigotry at a certain point. And I can see what you mean about it has to be bigotry on Sam Harris's point because, or on his behalf, because at a certain point, like if I hear new information, I'm not attached to it. So even though I've heard some of the things and agreed with some of the things Sam Harris has said because I didn't have better information at the time, when I get the better information, I'm out because I'm not attached to it because I don't have a bigotry. I'm uh, I'm just here for the facts or exactly better and, better versions of the truth. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to get well, facts these days. It is hard to get facts. And that's why I invented Salt and Skinny. You know, well, I mean, that's why I am Salt and Skinny. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know? Son of John Skinny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we're, we're, we're living in a world where YouTube commentaries are now like the authority of what's happening in the real world with like these little cartoon icons telling you what's what. Oh, this guy on YouTube said this, so it has to be true, right? And that's essentially what I am. I'm a guy, I'm a cartoon on YouTube, right? But I'm telling you like what's what, at least to the best of my ability. There are some mistakes in my videos and I'm gonna do a stream. There are some mistakes, especially with the pictures. I do some wrong pictures. Um, but you shouldn't trust me. You should be looking this stuff up on yourself. Everything I say, Google it, right? This is, I'm not, I'm not an authority on the subject. And that's kind of the wider point of my show. You shouldn't be using, especially in the Middle East where everything is so complicated and there's so much misinformation about it. You shouldn't be trusting just the first person you hear or the first person you read. You should always dig a little deeper. Really? And that's, I mean, that's like the core of this show too. Like, I, I wonder how much I can get away with it. Cause like, you know, people, when they start to build an audience, which I isn't really there for me right now. I mean, there's, there's some audience, but I was just had a guest on that. He was talking about how it's a big concern of his, the things he says, because he realizes people listen to him. I just need to hammer it on at least once an episode. And I feel like that's the best I can do. Don't fucking listen to me. I'm here to bring new ideas in. And believe me, I'm very opinionated. And half the time after a couple of drinks, I will not address that. I don't know what I'm talking about. I will only sound like this is the fucking truth and the end, the end all. But uh, no, really, you got to do your own research. Like, I mean, if you were just listening to the last trash talks, I fucked up all of this Israel thing. I, I mean, I maybe got close to it, but like, not really. It was just, it was just a three beers deep. Like literally how the conversation started was my uh, much more thoughtful guest was just like, I don't like to talk about things. I'm not a hundred percent sure on. So maybe we shouldn't do that. And I go, Oh, don't worry. I got it. I know what happened in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually, I mean, while we're on it, you, uh, any thoughts on, um, I mean, shit's popping off. That's all I can say. Shit's popping off. So here's, here's the thing with the, the whole popping off. And I'm, I'm yeah. I, I, we recently had a big protest in my city, huge. Pro I've never seen a protest that big before. And I'm glad, you know, that mm -hmm. you have these protests for, for Palestine. Yeah, tide's changing. Like, seriously, it used to be just like five years ago. Well, there's Israel and there's Palestine. And it's a little complicated. And now it seems like all of a sudden the subject matter has changed to no. Like, there's... um. This is this is like a crisis. Like this is this is this is not nuance. This is yes. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a little one sided. So, and, and I am seeing that, and like that's cool. But the thing is, this isn't new. What's happening in Israel and Palestine? That's not new. It's been happening for the past seventy years, mm -hmm. and none of that is new. Um, to get into it, 
like really, and I don't want to get too much into it because that's really what my show was leading up to. Like the, the idea was I do first the Arabs up until the 1800s. And then I do like Jewish and Christian history for season two, but that's even going to be harder because like I need to pick what I say because so much of Jewish history is outside the Middle East. Um, so I have to I have to pick uh, wisely. Yeah, especially with yeah, and it's gonna you're, you're moving from a, a Middle East political channel to a global one at that point. Exactly. Well, Middle yeah. East is global, center of the world, man. That's where all the action happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, but with this conflict in particular and what's happening now, um, I, I'm glad we have like phones and like cameras to like show what's happening because yeah, now it's a little less nuanced. Now people can see, okay, there's clearly, this isn't a conflict. This isn't, there's an oppressive state oppressing a people who are exceptionally desperate, so desperate that one of the only ways they can they, they can effectively combat other people is to blow themselves up. Think about that. Seriously, I just had this, I just had this conversation with um some uh just one of my friends. Um she was just saying that. She's like they blow themselves up. They're terrorists. I'm like they're that desperate. How do you not get that? Like that's the option they're left with. Like like they're like that's crazy. And I'm like Okay, think of what would have to happen to you as a person before you were willing to do that. Because they're humans too. Like this isn't this isn't just like like you have to get into some like bigotry to be like, well, they're different. They think different. They're fanatics. They're just blah blah blah. This that. And I mean, fanaticism can happen with any ideology, but like I, I don't think that's the case here with how common it is. It's just it exactly. seems desperation is the answer. It, exactly. And that's that's exactly it. Like I just saw like something like a man. So like during these last raids, a man, he lost his wife and he had five kids. He lost like four of them and he only has one of them. Right. Yeah. How do you explain to that man? Oh, this is a both sides issue. Yeah. Right. There was a man who lost his book. He put his life work into creating a bookstore. Okay. In Gaza. Yeah. And like built it like from the ground up and then in just seconds it's gone yeah. and he, he did the interview and he's a, a grown man breaking into tears he's like what am i supposed to do and i went to the west bank i went to palestine and when i was there i was expecting people to be angry you know what do you think about the because uh, i always ask questions what do you think about this what do you think about that what do you think about the occupation of uh, of west bank you know i visited the wall and all that and i was expecting people to be angry and what i got instead was what are you going to do they're hopeless they're hopeless people. They don't know what to do. Their leaders are gangs in a prison, essentially. But that's what it is. It's a prison. They have no airport. They got no navy. They got no army. No international recognition. Well, what are they supposed to do? I, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, and, and anybody who doesn't have <coughs> sorry about that. Anybody who doesn't have sympathy for um, what what's going on there, like this this controlled. I, it's just prison state. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Like they, they're, yeah, yeah, apartheid. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word for it. I don't, I don't know how you can't have sympathy for these people, or at least like put yourself in their shoes for a second. And especially when you realize the other force who's supposedly defending themselves, every single person in that. And you know what? I still with them having um, like it's compelled military service. They have to do it. I feel I, I feel exceptionally bad for the people who really don't want part in it or for us to do it. Like I think there's something so fucked up about like. 
there's something fucked up about blowing someone else up, but there's something fucked up about realizing like you're forced to blow someone else up that you don't agree with. I, just, I don't know. There's like an exception. Like, once you're blown up, you're dead. Uh, there's something just psychological you have to live with. It, it just really, it, it creeps me out in the back of my head just having yeah. to do that. And really what I'm saying though uh, is when you have this average citizen, like they, they've finally been describing, like I was saying, things are changing. You're starting to hear it as Palestine's throwing fucking rocks. And I mean, there are some missiles going off. We're not going to just pretend like it's rocks. That's a little, that's a little ignorant too. They're shooting rockets just comparatively with the iron dome it's a lot less than what israel's bringing out when you realize every single soldier that's going door to door is head to toe in about a hundred thousand dollars worth of u.s tax dollars just of gear like they're like super soldiers out there like so even if they're negligent boy is it easy to be good at what you're doing mm -hmm. well it's not I mean, even just that yeah. like yeah hamas does terrible things and i'm not going to support hamas yeah, no. Oof. Yeah, it's oh. like it's like Hamas. Like that's the thing. Hamas can simultaneously be bad, and Israel can be bad, and the Palestinian people can be separate. I mean, it's like what forty nine percent civilian casualties right now. It's like something yeah. insane. Um. So, I, well, it, so get like 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 Hamas. I I want to finish. I'm throwing things. a lot at you. Hamas, I'm sorry. Hamas is bad, right? Like we yeah. can agree on that. But Hamas only exists in this world because of what Israel has done to Palestinian people. Yeah. And, and people forget that. You know, when we see atrocities done, you know, to a group or to a state, we look at the atro oh, that's bad. Yes, it's bad, but why did it happen? Why did Gaza, uh, Hamas fire missiles into people? Mm. Was it because maybe the state was forcefully evicting its people out of their homes, which is illegal according to international law, and then went into like the third holiest site of their religion and put like a hundred people into the hospital. Yeah. I know Trump was just talking about dropping bombs on religious sites like two years ago. Oh, on Iran. Ah, oh, what a shit. If you saw those religious sites he was talking about, you would have freaked out. Gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. sites. And he has the balls to say that. I know it's insane. But um, another thing is, is that, you know, these civilian casualties, Israel's always been doing this. Israel is notorious for uh, indiscriminate bombings against civilians, uh, especially in, in the context of Lebanon. I, had a fr I have a friend who is Israeli, and her father, her family, left Israel because of the rising tide of right-wing extremism. And the father served in the Lebanese war in, in the 1980s. That was like the Vietnam of Israel. It was the first time in Israeli history that Israel's were questioning, why are we in this war? Why are we fighting here? And they actually had protests within Israel because there's a lot of Israelis that don't support what's happening. There's a lot of Israelis that have sympathy for the Palestinians and are fighting for Palestinian rights. So we can't, we can't point at Israeli people. We have to look at their governments and those who support those yeah. atrocities. Exactly my point with bringing up the Israeli soldier that is reluctantly forced to fight. Like, I don't know why, I don't know why there's something like, like it's, it's just interfere. Like the fear of getting blown up indiscriminately because of political violence is like, that's fucking terrible and it exists. But the idea of being like, you have to go commit that political violence and you'll be fucked if you don't. I'm like, oh my God, that's, mm -hmm. that's a different hell for me. <laughs> and that's why homeboy left. He was a soldier and he remembers vividly taking a father away from his family and the wife and the children clawing his face, desperately trying to get their father back. And he couldn't do anything because he has to stay professional, but he's thinking about it because imagine how traumatic that you're taking someone's father away and they're 
wife and their kids are 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 just desperately trying to like get them back pleading knowing you're the villain in this context that's why he left he has post-traumatic stress disorder just because of that yeah no really that's i i guess that's what it comes down to is uh living with the fact that you're the villain and especially like a lot of people are tricked into that mindset and they only realize it after like and the thing is when you're tricked into it you feel more justified in the moment and you feel a lot worse like if you're reluctant the whole time man do you feel gross but if you were on board and then you got off board at some time boy does that fuck you up because you participated wholeheartedly exactly yeah and it starts and it starts with small things of bigotry and it starts with like sam harris it starts with people like sam harris when they tell you oh yeah uh, there are single zip codes, single addresses, single individuals in New York City that are more valuable to society, human history, than the entire Muslim world. Well, who cares if they get blown up? They're not useful anyway, right? It starts with things like that. And that's how, that's how, we, that's how we got to these situations where we are now, especially with Yemen. Because we don't know Yemen and we don't know anything about its history and its people, what's worth caring about the largest humanitarian crisis in the world? Who cares? Who cares about Palestinians if they get blown up? They're different from us, and they don't produce anything anyway. So who cares? Like they have an option to. How the fuck are you going to produce anything when, like, every every few, every couple of years, they blow up any infrastructure you have with, and then block supplies from you being able to rebuild? Like, how the fuck are you supposed to focus on anything but fighting for your life? Mm-hmm. And all of your water is given to them. All of your goods are given to them. They control your entire border. They control what goes in and out of your country. They don't have a state. Hamas isn't a state. West Bank isn't a state. It's it's occupied territory. They, Israelis control everything about it. Here's something maybe you could address. Uh, one, of, one of the common criticisms I hear is Palestinians. I mean, they're allowed everywhere in Israel. I mean, uh, Muslims in general. I mean, just like everyone's allowed in Israel. However, you they don't let Jews in Palestine. I'm just like... Well, I'll, I'll start it out with, didn't they just like slowly, even though they had defined borders, the Jewish people just continued to move and expand into their land until they got pissed off enough? Is that not like the traditional way things go over and over? So you'll see in, in Israel, when you go to Israel, when you go to Palestine, if you ever go, you'll see signs of different like areas, A zone, B zone, oh, this zone is not safe for Jews. You can't go in. This is where, wait, this is in Palestine? This is in Israel and Palestine. Israel Israel and Palestine? Palestine. Israel controlled Palestine. So Israel will mark an area in Palestine isn't safe for Jews. So Israel marks it themselves. They mark it themselves. They tell you in those, they put those signs there themselves. Palestinians, Arabs in general, they don't care if you're Jewish. They never did. The, the, The Arabs were not the ones putting Jews into concentration camps and committing a genocide. Okay, and that's really the biggest insult with Israel and Palestine is that the Israelis suffered such the Jewish people, sorry, suffered such a devastating crime in Germany and Poland and in Europe that they decided in order to repay for that crime, we're going to go to the one people in the one place that didn't try to kill us. And that's the biggest insult because the Arabs and the Jews where for most of history, I'm not gonna say all of history because there are times in history where Muslims and Arabs did uh, persecute Jewish people, but for most of history, they were good with each other. They spoke relatively the same language, were of the same kin, were of the similar religions. And you know, you always hear Judeo-Christian values, especially in the West, 
Judaism and Islam have far more in common religiously than Christianity and Judaism. So it like, it's, it's arbitrary. This, this, this whole Jewish versus Muslim Jewish versus Arab thing. It's, it's horse crap. It it never, it like, it wasn't really a thing until um, European, really European is uh, Jewish people decided that they were more entitled to land and to a home than the people living there and started evicting them. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the original sin. And you know what? Funny enough, uh, I hear a lot of the early Zionist movement of uh, that sentiment was not just Jewish only. There was a lot of uh, incentivized like Jewish hatred, like pushing them out. Like, great idea. How about you leave? (laughs) Exactly. Why don't you leave? Yeah. It was it was German Hungarian people telling, yeah, leave. We don't want you there. Go. We'll support you. We'll give you some cash. You want some cab fare? Get the fuck out. Exactly. The Americans rejected Jewish refugees when they were coming from the Holocaust. But if you go to an American, oh, we we should what a, we went into uh, Germany to save the Jews. No, you didn't. You didn't care about them. No, I seriously, I always say it. I this is something I hammer on. I always say that is the justification. That is the justification for what the American people didn't want to do. The American people were more isolationist than ever come World War II because of World War I. And mm-hmm. they do not want to go and mess with all of European affairs as they as it was always referred to. And it was referred to longer than that. We got duped into World War I. I don't know how they fell for that shit. And then they were hardcore like, no. And then after, they were like, you have to do it. Also, it was great because Holocaust. Yeah. Well, they didn't even know until the Soviets liberated those camps. So that's not why we went there. Exactly. That's my point. It's like that was afterwards. It's like, see, good job, guys. That shit was going on. But meanwhile, I was like, well, that's not why we fucking went there. You went there for your own selfish reasons. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's and, 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 and you know, because I've been doing lots of debates with the interventionist types. Right. Yeah. And you always hear that. Oh, we did it for these people. You know, we did it for Kurdish people. We did it for. No, you didn't. You don't care about them. Yeah. Look, look at your consistent track record with them. And it's always like, we went to Iraq because look at the Kurdish people, look at the Kurdish genocide. Yeah, when the genocide was happening, you were arming Saddam Hussein, giving them uh, the materials and the funding to establish their chemical weapons program and their biological weapons program. You were giving them conferences on how to use WMDs and you didn't touch them because, oh, they were fighting Iran, the one people who were arming the Kurds. Mm. And then when and then when uh, you guys are fighting them, fighting with them in Syria, Trump decided, oh, OK, this is not worth it for us. It's costing us money. This is a lost cause. Uh, we're just going to dip. You have you have fucked them over, over and over again. I know constantly, constantly picking and choosing new winners like we our, our enemies and our friends in the Middle East are they change just about every couple months. Just just whatever interests are like, I mean, you, you look at it with like the toppling of uh, Saddam. I mean, they, they toppled that guy for, I mean, basically what it sounds like is Margaret Thatcher just fucking looked at George Bush and was just like, pussy. And he was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm gonna, I know I just said Kuwait was cool, but I'm going to get the fuck in there because someone just called me a pussy. And then we've just basically been having a dick measuring contest since then for corporate powers that make a lot of money off it and hold a lot of influence. But it really just came down to a couple idiots having a dick measuring contest in the first place. And as far as you can measure it back, it's just that continuously. And I, I, I don't know, like, 
It, it, it's it's definitely complicated, but it, it, it's not that complicated with us switching back and forth with our friends. Like yeah. when you when you see one time, you you uh, you tell Saddam he's cool, then you go and you fuck his ass up because he invaded some country. You told him it was cool to invade, and then afterwards you come back like a decade later, fuck him up so bad that his neighbor, who was supposedly like the problem in the first place, Iran, suddenly gets too much power. So then we got to go fight them, and we'll work with the fucking new rebel groups in Iran. It's just constantly, constantly shifting who's our enemy, and it just it just makes it out to be like I can't believe you because who we were fighting yesterday is your ally today, and it just seems like you want to keep the conflict going. Yeah. There's um, the Iranian foreign minister, like today. Um, he, I'm not a big, I'm not a fan of the Islamic Republic, just disclaimer yep. of Iran. But this guy, give this man a medal because he represents his country well. He goes on like American news outlets. And this guy's speaking in like his second, third language. And he's doing news conferences with these guys. And he's like, oh, well, aren't you intimidated by the US and all that? He's like, I need you to understand something. United States, you don't have friends in the region. You have clients. Yeah, that's the you best way to describe it. Who pay, you pay them to be your friends. We have friends. We have people who are willing to die for us. Okay, you don't. One day, Saddam Hussein is your friend. The next, you have to take him out, you know? And it's like that with all of your, your, your friends. And I'm like, it's like the guy, like he's dropping bars. And that's, and that's something that Americans don't really seem to get. It's like, we're, we don't have allies in the region, right? People are paying you to be there. And the reason you guys went to Iraq and a lot of your foreign policy in the, in, in the Middle East is because a particular nation, and everyone likes to pick on Israel, it's not Israel, it's Saudi Arabia, mm. is telling you, you have to go take out Saddam Hussein on our terms. Because in the Gulf War, the United States was ready to overthrow Saddam Hussein. Saudi Arabia said no. Not yet. Not yet. Not really <laughs> That's it. Not yet. They're, they're still good with it on their terms, but not yet. Exactly. Yeah. Not yet. Not not until we say so. Okay. Um, and they they really control. They're getting away with the largest humanitarian crisis in the world, and nobody's doing anything about it. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, just uh, just quick edit. Um, back to what we were talking about. Yeah, America's always picking sides, and they're always picking the winners for whatever's convenient today. But uh they're not making friends in the long term. Like the, the region is starting to catch on and a lot of the smaller groups, like they don't believe it. Like, oh, you know what? One that's fun to think of uh, recently, I, I know they were trying to leave, um, where were they trying to pull out of? Um, I can't even think of it at this point, but they, they were saying the Kurds, if we pull out the Kurds, oh my, the Kurds, they will, they're our friends. They'll be betray- We've already betrayed them like nine times, by the way, but they'll be betrayed this time. And uh, if we don't help them, like I think it was about Afghanistan, Am I correct on that? It's so well, much to Kurds, keep track of. Kurds, Kurds are not so much in Afghanistan. Where, what but, state? What country was it? Was it, was it Iraq Syria. then? Syria. It was I mean, Syria. Kurds, okay. It, yeah, we were supporting the Kurds in Syria. Syria. Right. Um, but here's the funny thing about that that little intervention, is that the group in the Kurds they have a, a little autonomous region called Rojava, and the project, the goal of that place, isn't to overthrow. Assad necessarily. Oh, just like keep their region, right? Yeah. Just keep their region as an autonomous state of Syria. They're working with Assad because they know that they can't be independent because if they're independent from Syria, then they have to fight Syria and they also have to fight Turkey. They need Syria to defend them from Turkey. 
Their goal isn't to necessarily to overthrow Assad and follow American interests. It's to just consolidate their authority in an autonomous region that they can call their own. And yeah. they're doing it pretty well. They're working with Assad right now. Ever since Trump pulled out, they're like, okay, well, I guess we'll, we'll work with you guys. You know, they fight once in a while, right, to, to tell them, you know, don't mess with us. You know, don't assassinate our leaders. Don't try to, like, you know, take us for granted, okay, because we'll mess you up. And they're doing it well. But ultimately, they want a safe and secure Syria under their terms. And that's fair. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Mm -hmm. um, but it's funny, though, like when you said Trump left and um, this was something I was hammering on from day one. Because the Kurds are not specific to like, they don't just need American backing. I believe they actually have Russian support too. They, uh, yeah. So they're, they're doing okay. Uh, so when everyone freaks out any little time we ease off invading the entire Middle East, they're like, hey, Trump's like, hey, we're going to pull out. Like, that's the best thing I can give him. Dude at least didn't start anything new. I know he didn't slow down and in fact ramped up in many of our theaters uh, the amount of warfare, but he didn't pick a new country to start shit with. And that's, it's a pretty low bar, but it's a pretty good thing to do in this day and age, like with how bad it's been in the past, like three presidents. But um, it never was about the Kurds is my point. When he's pulling out, that was the response from the mainstream media is they're like, what, what about the Kurds, our allies? What, what about these poor people? And I kept saying, I go, they got other friends. They can do it on their own. They don't need help. It, yeah, it's just like, it, and, and additionally, with all these things, like, you can take this over to Israel. If they can't get it done on their own, why the fuck is it our problem over here in the U.S.? Like, the American taxpayer has no allegiance to anything that's going on over there, or just probably shouldn't, in my opinion. Like, I get if you have your religious ones, but separation of church and state, I thought, was a thing, and um, a religious war halfway across the world is not our problem. So... Yeah. I don't know why we're funding any of these sides. It's insane to me. Well, you're, you're, you're funding them because it's not, it's not just because of the evangelicals or the, yeah, fact there's that profit. There's profit. There's lots of profit. Yeah. The, the Middle East is the gateway for different trade routes. The, bro, a boat got stuck on the Suez canal yeah. and like billions upon billions of dollars was just lost like that. Yeah. Just because of one minor inconvenience. So that canal was that. almost started World War three over in 1956 yep. right so the you have the land that's important you have the religious significance that's important and you also have the most the largest reserves of oil that run the world's economy because of that yeah right and it's it's a lot of reasons that we're in the middle east but most importantly it's because geographically speaking if you want to be a powerful empire you need to assert yourself there china did it india did it Greece did it, Rome did it, Egypt did it. You have to do it. Um, and you know what? We're talking about Trump. Trump was, I, I, he's like, you know, the man's a moron and he does a lot of things wrong. But actually withdrawing from the Middle East and, and isolating the United States again, just a little bit, I think was the right move. Exactly. Like I give him credit for not making it worse. And like, I wouldn't even give him withdrawal. He made the he made the mouth movements towards withdraw, but that's it. Even even that though, you don't get that from anybody in this country anymore. Like we, I was just talking about it with that. Uh, like yet again, my last guest, Desmond Price. We're talking about um, one of his political awakenings was back in uh, Obama versus Ro uh, Rodney R Romney. Never mind Romney. Um, 
they were both just arguing up there during one of the debates about how they're the better president to support Israel. It's like, I, like he said, like, this is his words, but I thought you were running for America. Like, what the fuck? Exactly. But it's yeah. not. It's not. It's, it's so much financial interest tied up in the region that you are running for both these countries and Saudi Arabia at the same fucking time. Mm-hmm. But and I, and I like that you're saying as an American, you know, because you're feeling it. It's like, why are you giving so much money yeah. to these people overseas, thousands of miles away with us? I have nothing to do with it um, to fight to what to kill people. Yep. That's ridiculous. And picture all sides of the spectrum, too. Picture the far left, right? Picture the far left who's obviously been on the side of Palestine for probably like 20 years now and just considers this a humanitarian, like, horrible event. Uh, Picture the authoritarian left. Uh, Fuck America, so they're on board with anything that makes America look bad. Picture the... um, uh, you know, the libertarian right. I mean, anti-war is fuck. Yeah, they don't want it. Then picture the authoritarian right. And there is the neocons that exist in that. But like some of the authoritarian right, like the America first dudes. They don't they're like, yeah, they don't want it either. So who the fuck does just this neoliberal center that's fucking us all. It's insane. It's 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 ridiculous because people don't think they they actually don't think about it because we think it happens far away. So it doesn't affect us, but it does affect us. It's tons of money. Right. That, that's not even yours. Every year. I didn't <laughs> All of the money. Um, and we can talk about it later with the debate on with uh, Cassidy. Yeah. Oh, I know sh- you want to talk about that. Fucking discord. No, keep going. I just I just got a beep. <laughs> no worries. But um, a lot of the money used to fund the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria, all of these wars is not American money. It's borrowed money. Y'all got five hundred billion dollars in interest just for the Afghanistan war alone. And that's only expected to grow. Yeah. And you owe that you as an American taxpayer, you own that money. Yeah, I know. I know. I, you know, and this is, this is one conversation. I keep, I, I don't know why I always have to address my last conversation. I did it in this other one, but I was talking about this sure. with him too. And he, he says he doesn't understand the deficit, but I'm like, dude, at a certain point, that's got to catch up with us. These wars have drained us and it's only been, the past few years, are you saying, oh, I don't see it changing because it hasn't changed since the 70s. We've uh, we've devalued our currency and it never ends. And I'm just like, this is all pretty new for how hardcore we did it. We actually had, um, what's the opposite of a deficit? A surplus? Um, yes. Yeah, we had a surplus under Clinton. That hasn't happened since. And that's my whole lifetime. So things have been apparently getting worse in my lifetime. And so when we're like, oh, this debt isn't going to affect us. I'm like, it seems to have made everything worse, and it's it's only within the time me and you have been alive. So what what, what the hell? <laughs> it's like it doesn't feel like it can last forever. I don't know. It's only gonna get worse. Yeah, and it's gonna be harder to pay back, and it's gonna be harder to uh, manage. Well, I think they're gonna move towards not paying it back. I, I think they're gonna get they're gonna get clever with it. Don't worry, it's not that loud. <laughs> okay. Uh, but um, yeah, no, it's um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't, yeah, I lost my train of thought. I don't know. That's that's pretty much it. But yeah, we're, we can't afford to pay this off, and I don't I don't know what we're gonna do. But it's not just like about affording to pay it off. Like it's not about like just giving a loan. It's like yeah. you're taking money away from your people that mm-hmm. they need it. They need those funds. You're losing the trust of those people. If you don't have the trust, how are you gonna have a country? I don't right? think they care to. I think I think corporate interests have taken over this country to the point where they're like, well, when you guys suck, we're going to move to uh, insert country with better taxation here. And that's it. Like, they're, they're just going to leave us hanging high and dry. And I see all this cryptocurrency and stuff, which, you know, 
I've invested in because I'm a cynic, but I see this all as things to undermine the overall debt that we have in this country and to just eventually, like, our leaders are going to default on us as a people. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, that's, but that's what's happening, right? Like, yeah. how are you investing more money into killing people in a war that you're not even winning than your own damn people? How does that make any sense? It doesn't. And, and, and not only that, but when you go into these wars, you're making more enemies. You're, you're making, you are representing yourself in these conflicts and you are killing people with these bombs and these raids and these prisons that, that, that have been already platformed as the war, like international crimes. Yeah. According to the international law, they're war crimes. And how are people supposed to believe you in anything you say? Oh, we're doing it for your freedom. Are you? If you go to the middle, they 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 know they're you're full of crap. Yeah. You go to the Middle East, they know you're full of crap. You don't believe in democracy. When we have a, an elected official, you overthrow him because he didn't agree with you, especially in Latin America. And that's something that I was talking about with, um, uh, yeah, with with uh, all the neocons that I was debating. Yeah. All, everyone had the same like argument like standpoint and I'm like dude like like at some point the record's got to break like and you gotta like snap back to reality yeah no and and like it's it, it, I don't know it just drives me nuts like essentially the only argument is that everything's been a half measure and that if there was just one full measure we'd have no problems and I I, I don't know man. If that's the case, then you got to realize like your brain should logically move towards, well, they've purposely been doing half measures then because that's been the obvious choice if that's what you think. So it doesn't seem like they want a full measure or a full measure wouldn't fucking answer shit. Exactly. What you think you know more than the United States government? You think you know more than the generals? They know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, to some degree. In the Middle East, honestly, they oh, they have no clue. <laughs> And it's not because they don't have the material or the combat strategies. It's just they don't know the people and they don't know how the culture operates. I actually wrote an essay when I was in school about why the United States keeps failing in these uh, nation building initiatives. Yeah. And one, they actually don't understand anything about how Islam works. Yeah. They keep going Islamism. Like, oh, it's political Islam. What does that even mean? Islam is inherently political. Yeah. It's an inherently political faith. It's in the courts. It's in your schools. It's in your, in your hospitals. The reason why people like Hezbollah, Hamas, and all of these Islamist mother, Muslim Brotherhood groups are so popular is because they give the most impoverished, the most disenfranchised people something. They yeah. give them food. They give them shelter. They give them a, a, a community, a welfare state. They yeah. actually give them this. Most of their influence is in what they give um, uh, domestically to yeah. their people. It's not so much militarily as you would think. No, really. And I mean, you see that pretty quick. I actually just had a weird flashback to even like some of the extremist groups. When I, in 2015, I was sitting in the cafeteria when um, kind of the peak of ISIS or whatever. Um, they were talking about like they had built the Islamic, uh, whatever they were calling it, the Islamic state that they had built between Syria and Iraq or whatever. Um, they built that up. And within like two weeks, they were talking about like they already have functional school systems and like they were talking about it as a bad thing about propaganda. And I was like, I mean, like I actually because I've hammered this point on before. I I, I, I go between this like I, I'm like still impressive like that, that. Like that's their first like thing to get addressed. They're like, we need schools again for the kids. But I do also I'm a little wary of that because like a lot of um like tanky communist types will tell me um they're like, 
well, you know, Cuba had like 100% literacy rate. And I'm like, I don't really trust, like when you're, it seems like in a lot of places when your literacy rate is 100%, it seems sheerly for the force of make sure you can read the propaganda. Like, yeah. yeah, so like there's a little bit of an issue with that. Like I, I don't like people are like, you know, US only has like, 90 something percent literacy rate. I'm like, sounds like they're not that concerned. I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I, it sounds like they're not concerned with us receiving the propaganda appropriately. Like, it seems like when they hammer on that education number, it's always like they're educated the way we want them to be. And I'm, so, yes. yeah, so I like a 90% leaves a little room for error. <laughs> yes. But like, you know, but that, that's a good point. Right. Yeah. But then there's the, but then there's the question. It's like, well, at least they can read. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good at thing too. Right. You, know, you can and, point at the good and, things. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what, and that's what we seem to forget as Westerners, because we're so privileged in what we have and like what, and what we're able to accomplish in our everyday lives. Most people in the world just want a place where they can go to school, learn the basics, you know, get a job, make the basics, eat the basics, live in the basics, and authoritarian regimes can provide that. Islamist groups can provide that. And that's why they're so effective. In, in, in bringing on these people. You don't have to agree with them. It's not about agreeing with them. They don't care about, you know, oh, we don't have freedom of speech. Oh, we can't draw a cartoon of our prophet. Oh, but well, they don't care. They care about, are you giving me the basics I need to live and thrive in this world? Then I'm with you. I don't care what the ideology is. And that's something that the United States of America and the West in general really needs to practice on. Like we need a way to win the hearts of people through their livelihoods. Yeah, and uh, I, I could see that in some senses, but for me, I'm less about the uh, the safety net. I I think people are happier when they're left to their own volition. I might be I might be wrong on that because, like you're saying, the popularity of these authoritarian movements. I think they're only popular in the sense that they force themselves on people and become the dominant ideology. I think there is more room. Myself being a little more anti-authoritarian mindset. I think people can make their own decisions for themselves. And oftentimes the larger overarching structures can lead towards ignoring the um, concerns of the smaller people. Like it, it, it um, I mean, you know, like, I mean, like Jim Crow days, I mean, that was government sanctioned racism and stuff and they can enforce that on the people. It doesn't mean it's good. It worked for probably the majority of people and people were willing to accept it because it was good, but there was still a minority that was being oppressed and there's no question to help them. Like, so I don't, while it works for the most people, while they're willing to go with it, I don't always view it as a good thing. Like democracy is a shit idea in my head because it's just like, what, two people agree to rape one other guy and it's suddenly legal? Like, like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's crazy to me to just make these overarching authoritarian ruling decisions. So I like to leave people a little more wiggle room to make their own decisions within reason. Like, I also consider myself an anarchist and anarchy, this is something as I just was in an argument with earlier today. Anarchy doesn't mean no rules. It means no rulers. And this guy comes at me with no rulers. That means no rules. I'm like, Dude, then you have no faith in your like fellow human because like we don't it just just like suddenly there's not a king in a castle nearby and you just blow your neighbor's head off. There's something fucking wrong with you if that's your worldview. I think there's more individual choice that could be made that doesn't need to be so top down. And uh, I think we could we could still succeed without it. But I agree with you that the structured system is extremely appealing. The safety net is always appealing because it sounds like, oh, 
you're going to make all this happen by force? Well, then it's going to happen. And you said, I'm going to get health care. So cool. <laughs> exactly. You know, we don't live in an ideal world. No. Right? Like, we don't live in a world where we can all just get along and like do things. And then countries can just, you know, get along and just trade. And like, everyone has their own boundaries and whatnot. We don't live in that world. We live in a world of strategy. And we le- live in a world of realism. Yeah. We're trying to one-up each other. And one of the most effective ways to one up each other is to persuade people, even if it means propaganda, even if it means lying to them, even if it means brainwashing them, we are winning over those people that are willing to die for us. And, you know, I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't, I'm, 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 I'm a bit like you. I'm a bit of a, uh, I would call myself a left-leaning liberal politically, you know? Yeah. Um, but I also understand that when you live in a world like the Middle East in particular, where it's so uh, prone to warfare, uh, not just within its region, but also from players without the region, um, you need that uh, safety net. You need that guarantee of a predictable life and a safe life. You know, I was talking, I remember I, I met an Iraqi woman and I, talk, I asked her about Iraq. And people, you'll see, oh, the world is better without Saddam Hussein. Well, is it? Yeah, Saddam Hussein was a tyrant. And this woman would tell you, she nobody likes Saddam Hussein. Call him a tyrant, guy, but I'd call him a linchpin. Yeah. The guy, the guy lived like a king. And his sons, they could have whatever woman they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted to men. If the sons beat you up, you couldn't do anything about it. They could take your wife. You couldn't do anything about it. Devil's it double, right? They could do whatever they want. But... Mm. What this woman said, and I'll never forget it. She said, but I was never afraid to walk alone at night. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I had health care. I had food. And I had, we had education for my children. And I was never afraid to walk alone at night. Now look at Iraq. Now you can't do that. Now there's, now the country doesn't even have control over its entire boundaries. Yeah. There's always uh, another year. There's always a new militia group that springs up. But wasn't that, uh, wasn't that more of a result? Cause I mean, if I'm not wrong to say Saddam was more towards the secular side, right? Or was mm-hmm. he, yeah, he was more towards the secular side, which was the minority in Iraq at the time. Um, so here's the thing with the Middle East, right? Yeah. You have a region in the world that for over a thousand years was governed by a religious empire mm-hmm. and the majority of those people what we now call arab their entire identity is built off that religion it was only very recently like in the 1800s that arabs started to have the same perception of a national identity like france did or like england does so all right well, we- so wait just to, just to go back so you're talking about the unified uh islamic idea of like we we worship one god so we have more in common for that reason was subverted by the i mean probably like imperialist injected mindset of regions areas countries all that of nationalism okay sorry so keep going with yeah um, keep going with that right so your your, gov- your governing structure is now different we're no longer an empire united by religion in which conveniently that religion is united by the language of one book, Arabic. Now we're united by a nationality, an identity of one language, one value system, one people. And that's why the Kurds have often gotten such the short end of the stick because the boundaries were drawn with the majority of an Arab nation. 
But when you're an Arab nation, you need to speak Arabic. Or if you're a Turkish nation, you need to speak Turkish. If you start speaking Kurdish, have Kurdish names, have Kurdish traditions, is your little community part of the Turkish nation? It can't be. And that's why we have so much of these problems is because of nationalism. Nationalism happened naturally in Europe because of its thousands of years of history. It came through force, forcefully, through dictators, through kings, through Western imperialism to the Middle East. And that's why we have such a rejection of secularism and nationalism and, and, and a revival of this, bring it back to the old ways of uh, Islamic rule. Yeah, just like a nostalgia thing. It's funny though, because the way you talk about it, um, I have I have a friend who's extremely supportive of nationalism. Um, he's uh, he's interested in China. Um, he, he likes them. He likes how China roots for China all the time. He's he's interested in that. Um, find it funny that uh, you're talking about how like uh, divisive the nationalism is when in his mind he'd probably agree with you 100 percent in this scenario is that oh yeah European powers came over like set out this poisonous mindset that kept these people arguing like he'd be on your side for 90 percent of that. And then you come down to the nationalism is the reason for it. And he doesn't view that as a bad thing. He views it as a unifying force. So I total speculation on a guy who's not here, but I'd love to hear what my friend had to say about that, that conversation. Well, it's, it's not nationalism per se, but like, what is the nation? That's the question, right? How do we, how do we unify ourselves? You know, and that's, that's really the big question of my, my series. How, how do people um, define themselves as a nation? Uh, is it civic, like it is in the United States of America? Is it national, like it is in, say, France? You speak the French language, you follow French culture, whatever that is. What is that? How do we define that? You know, Escargo. does it change over time? Like, it's, 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 a, it's an arbitrary thing, but it matters. And it, in reality, it, it does exist. It does exist as long as we believe it exists. And that's why, you know, I always try to force like I always in my videos I try to put the religion is a political ideology because political ideologies are religions you believe in it it exists right if you believe in the United States of America and in, as a citizen of the United States of America and that your government is is is, is worth trusting then it exists mm -hmm. if your money is worth trusting then it exists and that's you know go back to the crypto now people are trusting crypto even though now it's now it's crashing taking that is a buying opportunity my sir i'm not a financial advisor <laughs> true that get the cardano though <laughs> he's not a financial advisor either but maybe i'm do not it. a financial advisor either I yell that I yell. I don't know if I'm like I hear other podcasts that just hammer on their opinions, but the real uh, the real financial ones always hammer that on. And I'm I can't afford to get sued. So I just scream that. <laughs> I agree. No, no, no. You're, you're not an expert. I'm not an expert. People, you you guys should not be taking everything we say. Yeah, word for we're word. not historical experts. We're not political experts. We're two guys right. just trying to discuss what we see in the world. Exactly. Everything we say, look it up. And you know what? I'm happy to be proven wrong because that means Absolutely. I learned something. I was proven wrong today. I sounded, I, I, you've contradicted several things I said in the last episode and that's why I got you on. I'm well, actually I hit you up before that and it was very convenient that you came on after that. It was yeah, a, nice sure. timing, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. 
Well, uh, let me see if I got any other questions for you here. Um, Hold on. Before that, I just got to take a quick uh, bathroom break. Oh, okay. All right. We'll be right back after the bathroom break. Hey, we're back after the bathroom break. We just screwed up and spent 20 minutes talking about the best content ever. Anyway, we're jumping back in. We were just somewhere in the middle of the uh, gun discussion in U.S. and whether or not it's an important thing for the civilians to be somewhat of a threat to the government that is currently the largest imperial nation or whether or not it's, uh, you know, you're referred to it. It's a little crazy. A little bit of our laws are loose. A lot of people can get their hands on guns. So we're somewhere in the deep into the middle of that discussion. But jumping back into it. Yeah, let's jump back into it, man. You know what? I think people have the right to bear arms. But it's all about balance. You know, you need regulation. I don't think you guys should have, you know, a massive submachine gun, you know, to eradicate, you know, or, or, or be in the presence of children so that they can go to schools and shoot up kids. Mm. That's only an American phenomenon. You know, there's yeah. how many countries have school shootings in the Middle East, in the Middle East. Okay. Very violent country. There's guns everywhere because countries all over the world want to import weapons. You have never had a school shooting or a shooting of any kind that wasn't politically motivated or religiously motivated. The fact that in the States that you guys can have just like these shootings, just because the guy one day woke up and felt like it, that's scary to me. Mm. That's scary to a lot of people. I don't think that's a stable country, to be honest. So I do think that there is regulation, but at the same time, I agree. Well, well, you, you, you guys should have, I agree in the original assertion that the population should be able to defend themselves from a tyrannical government, you know? Mm. And I believe that you do have the rights to, to bear arms. You do have the rights as civilians of a country, the most imperialistic country in the world, to defend yourselves. Uh, I do believe defend us from them. Out. That was an accident. Believe me, the guns weren't here for being an imperialist nation. We got the guns specifically because we just broke off from one of the worst imperialist nations ever, and we knew why it was necessary to have that little failsafe in your populace. And we try to respect that. But additionally, this is something I already hammered on before when we were talking, but the cultural aspect. I think there's something else going on. I don't think it's just a large amount of guns because I pointed at Switzerland earlier, which has a higher gun ownership rate. I think it's Switzerland. I might be fucking up. It might be Sweden. I forget. One of those Scandinavian countries. I really should look it up. I've referenced it several times on the show, and I have this I conversation every time. I'm pretty sure it's Switzerland. Anyway. They're, it's mandatory. They own guns. They know how to use them. They don't have a school shooting problem like us because they're not having the cultural issues we're having. We're having extreme cultural issues. We're having identity issues. There's like, there's no structure. Like what you're talking about, like these ideologies in these other countries, there's somewhat of a different unified force in a lot of the places you've named, like culturally. They have something else to fall on. U.S. made itself the melting pot and everything kind of goes, all ideas are part of the same thing. A lot of them people are looking for that kind of authoritarian appeal that you pointed out of the in-group preference, the answer, the safety, all those things. And what that's leading to is people getting tribalistic in a country that was made to be a melting pot of all different tribes. And that's leaving some people behind. Uh, I won't deny that the most often uh, person who's committing these school shootings is probably a, a young, like, teenage white guy, right? Like, that's that's the standard that you usually hear. What's what's going on right now in white culture? Um, religion, pretty much, it's dying out. They don't have that. It's pretty nihilistic. It's pretty sad. And then additionally, there's, like, a top-down cultural aspect that you're an oppressor and you've done nothing but harm your entire life, even though you're a, what, 15-year-old kid? 
like, you know, like you said, like American slavery, it's fucking awful. But there's right now in schools, it's being taught like you, the 15 year old, are currently enacting that racism of slavery by existing. Like it's it's handed out in that sense. I know. And it's like, it's obviously like, I don't know, like maybe that's not the intention, but that's obviously how it comes across to some people. And there's this really just like, things aren't getting better for me. I'm part of a demographic that's being slowly like, I mean, it could be anything. It doesn't just have to be a white guy, but it's usually somebody who is oppressed by their peers, an outgroup person yeah, I, I agree. resisting. I agree. So, um, yeah. As someone who has hung out with a lot of white boys, <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, like I've been, you know, I've been in, in, in some groups, I've been the token. Yeah. They always talk about school shootings 24 seven, right? Just kidding. Just kidding. Where I come from, we're not, we're, we don't do, uh, we don't do school shootings. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you got different Very white guys. You guys. Forgot that's American white guys only. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, but there is an insecurity among white people, you know, and about their identity, about their place in the world. And I yeah. see that. Um, the problem is the fact that you guys identify yourselves as white. Yeah. No, no, no. I get that too. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't see it as necessarily people identifying themselves as white as much as it's being forced top down. Like they talk about the toxicity of whiteness and like, there's literally like, I've seen articles talking about Candace Owens, who I don't agree with by any point, but, um, I also think it's ridiculous to refer to as, um, a symbol of whiteness. Like she's a black person who speaks towards I guess traditionally more white talking points, but like it doesn't make her white. It's somebody who shares those ideas and they try to make it race-based. Well, in America, you know, it's hard to get away from the race-based yeah. hierarchy because all of the Americas, you know, Canada, Latin America, especially Brazil, you know, it's all race-based. The, the, the structure was based on race. You know, that's ground zero for racism, mm. you know, in a way, like the science of, and, and economic system of racism. So it's hard to like distinguish it, but we have to remember when we say these things like, you know, there's white privilege and then, you know, that blacks are disadvantaged because of how we perceive them racially. These are arbitrary things that have consequences in the real world, but they remain arbitrary. They're not who you are ultimately, Exactly. you know? And, you know, for me, you know, like I'm a very ambiguous looking guy, you know? The only, yeah, you, you can know, claim so, anything. You can cut your hair a different way and claim anything. <laughs> it's just like, I can do anything I want. I can be Jewish and oh, I can be Israeli and Palestinian the next day. I can be Pakistani Indian the next day. You're not going to tell. What would you know? I don't think you could pull off Nigerian, but you know. <laughs> right? Well, I'm sure I can't pull off Nigerian, <laughs> but I can joking. pull off almost anywhere else in the world. I can pull off Latin. I can pull off Iranian. I can pull off Greek. Yeah. I've been Italian. People have assumed I was Italian many times. You got the whole middle, like like little top middle section of the globe. Yeah. Exactly. You probably pull off some Asian if, if you really like were in the right room. You're like, no, 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 seriously, seriously. <laughs> exactly. I can be any religion, any ethnicity I want. So I've always been able to bounce around that, you know? Yeah. But for other ethnicities, like when you're white, you're white, dude. When you're black, you're black. That's dude, and I fucking, I hate that shit, dude. Because I feel like, like ancestry-wise, I'm more Hispanic than anything, but... I don't know. It's, I'm, it's I'm way too. I like to hide from the sun. So, <laughs> but it's all arbitrary. Who cares? Exactly. Who cares? But but it's I'm saying in this country, you don't get the option not to care. Like you can try to not care, but eventually it shows up and just taps you on the shoulder, and it's stupid. Mm -hmm. Well, especially for you know the Black Americans, because I got when I did the when I when I was doing this YouTube channel, and I realized how 
you know, left out Islamic history was, mm -hmm. Middle Eastern history was, the most left out is African history in particular. So I always had like an interest in the African American diaspora. So I understand that they have a constant reminder of who they are and like in that history. But at the same time, you know, it, it does affect you in, in, in the real world. I'm not going to say it doesn't affect you. Yeah. But ultimately, as we're progressing, because we are progressing, you more than ever now in history have the opportunity to define yourself. And I think as white people, you know, like if what, what you guys, honestly, just sometimes it's better just to just, and I found this with myself as well, pick your battles, okay? Don't always, you don't have to be so defensive about everything, you know? Sometimes it's good just to listen, you know, acknowledge it, you know, agree with it, disagree with it politely, but pick your battles because ultimately you're not defined by your whiteness. I don't look at you as some white dude, you know? I look at you as trash talk sultan. You know, you invited me over, we had a conversation, you know, we're cool, right? You know, like the whole historical whiteness thing, whatever, it doesn't bother me. If it bothers people like that, you know what? That's their problem. Mm. They live in they live in a world where they can't distinguish other people from their racial groups, and they can't see an individual. Ultimately, we're individuals. And it's not even just that, though, is because that's what I'm pushing for. At the end of the day, is I want everyone to be treated as individuals. It's just that from the top down, they're making it sound like it's not an option. And like, like literally, I just saw this paper being passed around earlier today on Twitter. Of it's called "Why I'm a Racist," and this is something that's being taught in like public schools. And the person's saying I'm white I don't get everything so I'm racist like and it's just it's it's essentially just boiling down to that and I feel like there's a divisive nature to that that doesn't or uh, it just doesn't need to happen like I was saying on the last thing one of the biggest discussions with the George Floyd case was a I mean the answer was police brutality and it's something that I think more people could get behind and really like our police system is like no other in the world there's many criticisms of it and there's obviously some of a racial aspect that's going on to it but I feel like they can just present these things in a way that's like police brutality exists and it's worse for other groups, but it's bad for you too. So you should, this should be something you're concerned with, but instead they present it as like, it's just like a racially divided concept instead of something that should be a unified force of all races. I, well, in a way it is racially divided, right? You know, you are, because you are white, less likely to have such a violent encounter with the police and a black person. And that is historical, that is cultural in the United States, right? Yes. And I think it's important for us to recognize that, just recognize it, acknowledge yes. it's in the room, Yeah, you know? We can't ignore it, you know, and we shouldn't ignore it. We should acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, I don't think that we should define you or any white individual or any, any, any individual of any color, doesn't yeah. matter based on their background, based on their color, um, but rather what they're saying and how they say it. If they're saying something ignorant, it could be because of their whiteness. You never know. Or because of their blackness. Black people say ignorant stuff too, okay? They're not perfect, okay? Mm -hmm. They also, the first person that ever, you know, told me that I was racially different from other people was a black person, okay? I never thought of myself as being racially different or of what my race is yeah. until a black person brought it up. Right. So like they have this too. every every group has it. The Arabs. have. I made a whole video about it. Right. And that's normal. The problem is the, the question is, 
how much is that bias going to affect how you view other people Mm -hmm. and how you view yourself as an individual in this world, right? And honestly, the more you look into it, the more you read about it, it's like, what does it matter? Yeah. And, you know, you know, I just, I want to clarify it. Cause I, I, I started with saying like, you know, obviously you look at the school shooter style, like it tends to be like, this isn't a racially divided thing. My argument more so was there is a cultural issue going on in the United States right now. And it's reflective in a bunch of different places. I think this uh, critical race theory is just part of the overarching system that is failing a lot of people. So they're just reaching out to different groups and being like, Hey, we failed you in this way. Well, let's focus on it. Hey, we failed you in this way. Let's focus on it. And the internet is letting everybody find their echo chamber where they're the victim. And it seems to be promoting certain victims to like certain elevated status. So everybody's looking for their victim group. Once you become a victim, you feel much more justified in your destruction. So yeah, like I don't think it's a race-based thing. I think right now there's a lot of nihilism in the country and um, I think a lot of other groups have explanations for this. Like, um, like I have a, my, my buddy, uh, BBW Thigh comes on. He's a Hotep guy and stuff. He can point to a lot of white oppression for um, all the things that have happened to the black community and stuff and have something unifying behind. It's like, yeah, the white man's putting us down. We can find that. It's not our fault. We're going to come over this. I think a lot of like the, uh, the school shooters, it's just like all you have is like nihilism. They're like, yeah, there's no real like cultural background. There's no like religious background. There's just like you and you're getting bullied. And also your parents are just alcoholics and like your dad's not even there. And like there's so many things going on with the country. Like like that's actually the main thing you can find behind these school shooters. Um, fatherlessness is the main thing. Yes. And I don't know what it is about uh, the... Um, white reaction, but white boys seem to go to school and shoot up the school. Meanwhile, African-Americans, when they experience fatherlessness, go rob a convenience store and get into like petty crime and shit. Like it still results in violence and crime, but it usually seems to be a result of there's something going wrong in the family structure and like the core culture that you interact in. seems like it's always the core is the culture is pushing these things. It's not necessarily the access to the weapons. It's not necessarily the I don't know. I feel like it's more culturally pushed. That's all I'm culture, trying to say. Culture is a big word, right? You yeah, know, I get, you're right. It is. <laughs> big word. You know, we can't we can't use that word a lot. But fatherlessness is more specific. Men, men, men yeah. are the problem. Let's, let's 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 start there. Young men are the issue here. They're the whole crime. If you locked up everybody from 18 to 25, the crime rate would be cut like by 90 something percent. It's just yeah. young men are the issue. Yes. Um, girls don't do this because girls have already been taught that their main priority in life is to bear children, right? And to become mothers. You can't sacrifice your life if you're a mother, you know? And do I agree that is that what women should be in wholeheartedly? No, you're an individual. You you're just saying more culturally, but they're pushing that direction. Generally, yeah. generally, that's your inclination to be. But what do men have? Men, you want to be the hero. You want to be the icon. You want to be the guy who leads something. What happens when you're not that? You start to lash out. And when you you don't have a male figure to show you the ropes, it can become difficult, you know? Mm. Um, So it is, is, I wouldn't say it's a cultural phenomenon. I think ultimately it is individual. Yeah. Um, Every person is different. And reacts different because not all like fatherlessness, yes, can cause that, but there are a lot of oh, of course, it's not like your father's gone and you're that, but sorry, yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of single women who raise their their boys right, yeah, you know. Um, but I think the biggest issue, well, when it comes to crime, 
biggest issues is income inequality. Some people have more than I have, and I want that. Yep. Right, number one. Uh, in fact, they did a study. What was the biggest cause for civil war in the world? Was it diff- diversity of ethnicity, diversity of religion? Nope. Income inequality. Income inequality. I believe it. Number one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but also, I think the internet has a big role to play. Yes. And the media we, we intake. Uh, yeah, and America being the furthest to the forefront of internet interaction. Well, maybe not. I mean, there's probably some. Well, you know what? You see it in all the countries, like the Asian countries that are what? America is number one with internet interaction in the world. So we are? Okay. Well, I was going to say there are some like. Not as much. Maybe per capita, not as much. But America is ground zero for the internet. It is. And that's why I'm saying these problems, I think, are popping up here first. And they might be significant of other things going on, like the internet, like these echo chambers, like these, like I said, this this feeling of uh, there's no group identity for the country, but there is this in-group identity online is creating these extremist groups. Like, you know, you don't have the father, you look for another figure. So like, maybe it's not that it's, it's, it's this displacement. So you don't have the father, you go online and you find out like, Hey, five guys said women are the devil. And if I shoot up my school, I'm cool. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it happens pretty quick. <laughs> but that's true. That's people honestly believe that people think the digital world is more valid than the real world. Yeah. You know, and that's why I love being, you know, cause I was never really into the internet until I started being salt and skinny. You know, yeah. I never really had, never really had like a, like an Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever. I, I didn't care, yeah. you know, to me, that was whatever until I started doing salt and skinny and I played this character and I've been banned. I've been blocked by everybody from right wing, left wing. Really? Which will just, just your content doesn't ask. seem like that extreme to like, I don't know. Anyway, but bro, just asking questions, you will get blocked Oh, on Twitter, on Twitter. Oh, I don't right? ask questions. I make assertions. <laughs> Questions are the worst because it makes them think and then they yeah. got to answer themselves. You're so, right. That's like, why, I, that's why I'm innocuous. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm making statements. I'm not actually just making anyone think. Yeah. No, I've been blocked by a lot of people. I fought like people I subscribe to on YouTube. Like I genuinely like, and then they'll say something and then I'll be like, ah, are you sure it's like that? And then blocked. It's Jeez. Like, it's so petty. It's very petty. Oh, it's so pathetic. And I'm, and then I think about it and I'm like, oh, yo, Sultan, remember bro. Uh, they're not as cool in the real world sure yeah no that's what the internet really provides and a lot of this like <laughs> i was saying this with covid too and a lot of the people who like to hammer on the rules that like weren't even there next week it's a lot of low status people man it's a lot of people have nothing going on in their lives who are just like i found a way to be right on the internet i, I found a certain framework where you're an asshole and all my friends agree so good die <laughs> exactly exactly and you know what like it, it doesn't matter and you know what like I realized that when I was debating with a lot of the people and just talking with a lot of people online, and I'm like, oh my God, bro, if you were in my high school, you would have, we would have called you a hallway kid. Yeah. You know? Dude, no, I just, sorry. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of political commentators that I think is the best art. That's the best description of what they are. Like they're, they're promoting these, these huge ideas and they come off as nothing but hall monitors. We're like, dude, we know who you were in high school. And like, you're really trying to make a name for yourself now. Mm-hmm. No, that, that, yeah, no, there's a lot of hall monitors out there. You know what the worst part is? They're not even good at it. It's like sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I would hear them. Like I had a debate with like some of these kids and I'm like, they're like, oh yeah, you know, they're like, what, what, what war crimes did America commit? And I'm like, well, you can start with like Nagasaki and Hiroshima when they nuked an entire city. Yeah. Well, that's not a war crime. I'm like, excuse me? What do you mean that's not a war crime? They nuked an entire city. 
They used a WMD on an entire city full of civilians. No, it's not a war crime because, uh, you know, it was strategic. I have actually heard my brother explain this in a way because this is, uh, I th- it might have been right after this, might have been somewhere else. I was hearing somebody make this argument on um, whether or not it was the best tactical move. And uh, I think what's his face has gone into it. Dan Carlin's hardcore history. He talks about this one. I was a little more convinced by the end when they're talking about like I, I stayed a lot longer in the camp that the nuke was completely ridiculous. Like they were going to surrender all these other things, but they've gone into like much more of like the Japanese fanaticism and stuff and how much that nuke actually affected the overall populations. Um want to be involved in the war and stuff and like how much that i i don't know man like it's complicated but like no we can't go back in time and change the past yeah you know it happened and happened but the question is when you nuke an entire city yeah incinerate an entire city of civilians is that not a war crime and i brought it up well assad allegedly gassed his own people Alleged? That's no. It's not even alleged at this at this point. No, it's completely I disproven. It. I believe it. No, you I, believe I, it really? Because it's been mostly disproven. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No. There's I people who've done the effort in disproving that. No. 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 That was that was 100 like groups that wanted to topple him made it look like that. I like I mean, did I, you see the CNN girl who's out there? She's fucking. She goes. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a smell in the air. Like what? Like the one that would fucking kill you if there was actually gas there? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah, it's fucking but tragic. I know that there hasn't been like a proper court case about it, you know? Yeah. Um, I know that's why I say allegedly, because I don't know for sure. But I wouldn't pass I wouldn't bypass him because Assad, the regime, has a history of just destroying their own cities yeah. just so they can get those rebel groups. In the nineteen eighties, they the the city of Homs was destroyed just so they can get Islamist rebel groups. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. And that's okay. why I say it. I don't say they did it. I say okay. I wouldn't be surprised. And I'll, and I'll throw in that I've just heard from many people I respect that that was 100% blown out of the water propaganda bullshit. But I'm not know. an expert. So neither of us have to address that. Exactly. I don't know. But let's say he did. Yeah. Okay? Let's, say, he let's did. say he did. If he gassed his people, right? That's a war crime, right? And they're like, yeah, that's a yeah. war crime. And I'm like, okay, but it was for strategic purposes. Uh, he couldn't send his troops there because there would be so much more casualties if he sent his troops there. So they needed to use the gas weapons to take him out. No, it's different. Well, how is it different? Well, it's only so different because America did it. Let's say the argument is so he uses the gas and stuff. Was there any kind of deterrent force? Because like I, I've mainly taken the side against the nuke. I'll say that, but I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. And um, I guess the argument would be that in the long term less casualties were predicted because there would be a mainland invasion. Almost all the same amount of civilians would have been aggressed against. And really this cost less lives in the long run, but specifically less American lives. Like the proportion was probably thrown heavily on the Japanese side versus Mm -hmm. the American side. But it put the point across to say the majority of lives would be the argument. Yeah. and, and, And that's something that kept coming up and I'm like, yeah, but the majority of those lives would be combatants. And that's what I always throw in. There oh, so the U.S. lives, so you're saying it'd be more disproportionate to the U.S. lives, so the combatants would be losing yeah, more well, lives than the civilians. It, okay, right? yeah. It's not because Jap- they don't give a fuck about Japanese lives, the hell? Yeah. <laughs> they nuked them. <laughs> yeah, and you can't trust the propaganda of, oh, well, they're like infinitely um, just 
we love the emperor. We're in that mindset. You don't know what's in the mindset of the average civilian. So it's all propaganda. If a soldier yeah. kills a soldier, it's not a war crime. Yeah. They were, they were sent there to die. Yeah. Okay? Soldiers are meant to kill each other. Exactly. So if there was a land invasion, yeah, more soldiers would have died. That wouldn't be a war crime. It would be a war disaster, maybe, but it wouldn't be a war crime unless you used like a nuclear or a chemical weapon on them. Uh, them in their prisons, right? Weird That's side. Yeah. War crime. So I was saying weird side note, though. What about the draft, though? With these guys, like these guys didn't want to go in there. You're still a soldier. Yeah. You're still an armed combatant. With a gun to the back of your head. <laughs> right? Yeah, but you're still you're still a soldier. If you're an unarmed combatant, that's when the rules are made, right? Yeah. That's when we draw the line. If you're an unarmed combatant, an ununiformed person, and you get killed, that's a war crime. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm trying to be double advocate. Yeah, I don't think like I'm doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, you're drafted. Yeah, that sucks, dude. But you're still a soldier. You're still a, a symbol of the state's authority. Yes. But if you're a citizen, you're a victim of the state's authority. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. And that's that's what I was trying to like go with, but it's like a wall. It's like you can't. It's like no, it's different because reasons. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, no. It's, yeah. It's it's prop. And you know what? And it's unfortunate because they think they're saying something smart, and yeah. it's like, no, dude. It's like you're you're just running in circles. And 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 like you know the snake that's like biting its own tail, uh, or a burrows. Like. Yeah, that's that's what it's like. Yeah, cyclical. Yeah, I know. It's it's yeah. And then and then like we said before, their only argument is the full measure would be the right answer, not the half measure. And we're doing the half measure. But if we just, I guess, with the snake analogy, just ate ourselves up the neck, we'd be doing better. It's just I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit further. Uh, yeah, no. It seems cyclical and it doesn't seem to make any sense. I, I mainly, I really like, I don't even, I'm still conflicted on the whole, like, the whether or not the nuke was a good thing. I heavily sat towards the side of no, and then I heard some very good arguments about how it would have caused a lot more destruction. And I tend to hear them out, like, somewhat more than other things. But, um, no, I mean, in the long run, it just, it does seem like, like, like your argument, I think, sums it up better than anything. It's civilians versus combatants. You got to decide which lives matter. Because I think at the end of the day, if there was enough combatants that didn't want it, like they need to be able to stand up to the military and say, we're putting our arms down and stuff. Like it's not, it's not like how it was, especially even then, like I actually, I'm not sure what it was like in world war two, hundred percent. I don't know how, like what the execution on like deserters are, but I feel like if there was a strong enough sentiment amongst like most people, instead of like just blindly observing the propaganda, you would have seen that thing been able to stop from combatants versus civilians have to just take whatever's handed to them. So it's kind of on the responsibility of the combatants. Like they do teach you this because I've been in the military. You're not supposed to be in awe of command. When something's really wrong, you are supposed to think for yourself. They teach you that, but they just never really provide you the skills to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But like you can't change, you can't go back in time and no. change it. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like it doesn't matter. Was it better for the future? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Sure. But it doesn't matter. If a country was to nuke a city, would we consider that a war crime? Yeah. There you go. But it was the first right. one. So it's like qualified immunity. We're good. <laughs> That's how they said it. Well, the Geneva Convention didn't exist then. Well, okay. So the Armenian genocide wasn't a genocide because, oh, the Geneva Convention didn't exist then? Qualified well, immunity, bro. How was I supposed to know? <laughs> no, really, it's not much better than that. No. 
I think that's a good way to put it. No, it really does just come down to like the qualified immunity argument. Like they're just like, we were the first ones to nuke anyone. How the fuck could we know that was bad? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, I see that. I'll tell you what, though. I think that's a, that's a good place to wrap up, though. We could probably go on forever. We're cutting in on uh, two hours here and uh, really two hours and probably 30 minutes with uh little pre uh, the, the bathroom break chat that we had afterwards. Yeah, true that. Really, though, I'd love to have you on again, man. Um, it was a great show. Yet again, we got uh, Skinny, uh, Salt and Skinny. Salt and Skinny. Um, and find him on YouTube. Just type it in those two words, and he's got some great history. A lot of the subjects we went on about today are in much better detail. These were questions about the episode. So if there's anything you're looking to be reinforced, most of the first half of the show was on there. Second half of the show sounds like it's coming. You're going to address a lot of these things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You got anything to close us out on? Anything you want to plug? Uh, no, nothing, man. I had a great time. You know, hit me up at Salt and Skinny, you know, at Skinny Sultan on Twitter and Salt and Skinny YouTube. Uh, you know, had a great time with the Trash Talk. You know, have me up anytime, bro. Absolutely, dude. We're going to be having you on again. That's it for Trash Talks. Y'all have a great night. Peace. <laughs>